What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John, and as promised, back with me again, Daniel Terry. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm uh, I'm trying to save my strength after listening to that two-hour chat you did with Dewey. Yes, our guest this episode is Dewey Halpus of the Peer Pleasure Podcast. Uh, if you are not familiar with that, maybe you are familiar with his other bands that he used to be in uh anatomy of a ghost from you know the early 2000s and uh maybe another band you might have heard of called portugal the man uh dewey was in that band for a little bit and then a fun story as to how he became not a part of that band dewey's a great dude i love his podcast it's uh one of those where when you listen to it you just kind of you can tell that there's something different and unique about the show it's not a traditional interview based kind of a show at all it's more of just a a conversation and so as such i uh kind of steered this episode uh in that direction where they're really i had one question that i had been always wondering uh in listening to the show i think it'll be pretty obvious which one it is uh and aside from that we just started talking literally um and i i think sometimes those are the the more fun conversations to uh to pop in and, and check out especially between two podcasters yeah yeah it, it was a lot of fun being a fly on the wall uh once I started listening to it, I was like, oh, man, this is one of those ones I kind of wish I'd have made more of an effort to be there, you know, because um, there was a lot of stuff that came up that, like, I totally, totally relate to, obviously. Uh, also, being a podcaster where, like, you guys were talking about, like, yeah, the guests that give you a one-word answer sometimes on things and how how that can at times, you know, kind of be the challenge. Like, you know, it's not like it's not like it's you against the guest, but it's just one of those, like, how can I how can I steer this in a direction to where it's going to be engaging? Um, and I know John, you go through that a lot. Um, definitely have heard some chats that have started off rough. And then at the end of it, you know, uh, you're like, Oh wow. I never knew that about this person or, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and so, yeah, I thought that that was really, really engaging. And one of the things you guys talked about that I really liked was how much of yourself, like how much of your personality do you really want to give away? Especially if you're, if you're going through like some real heavy shit, you know, what do you, what do you do? Um, and, and I've always struggled with that myself, like in, in the sense that like, if you listen to some of the discussed metal episodes or even on some of the discography discussion episodes, uh, every now and again, I'll say something along the lines of like, oh yeah, I was hospitalized for this, or I had this problem or that problem. And it's always a- after I say it, I'm always kind of like, man, I don't know if I really wanted to put that out there or not. But at the same time, um, those, are, those seem to be the episodes that people respond to the most where they get a little bit more insight uh on a situation and um i think that's super strong and i think i think what dewey said was right on that it really doesn't you're not doing yourself any favors bottling stuff up now that doesn't necessarily mean that every time you have a problem just go on a podcast and just go off (laughs) you know but uh as far as like keeping stuff under wraps or not dealing with it and I think, you know, in, in like what you guys talked about in the podcast about how, you know, you had some pretty heavy shit going on and I witnessed it and it was not. Um, and then, you know, immediately it's like you reach down, you grab your little mask, you put it on. And then all of a sudden it's like, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Brutally Speaking, you know, and um, and how hard that can be to quantify sometimes. I think. Actually, what's interesting is we'll have an episode coming up in a few weeks with uh, Lee from Born of Osiris where. You know, I I hate to be that person who is talking about therapy and talking about what it's been doing for me. But it's really hard when you kind of start start having someone kind of help you see things in a completely different manner than what you're used to seeing them in and changing, changing and shifting your perspective on a lot of things to not kind of 
have that permeate into your conversations as well, because they're interesting talking points, especially when you start noticing things in a conversation appear where you're like, oh, my God, that's very weird how this has been a constant over the last month for me. And it's one of those things where I think that's kind of the beauty of what Dewey has tapped into on his show is that he has kind of figured it out by like what he said, you kind of give a little bit and maybe your your guest gives a little bit and then you give yeah. a little bit more and you, you're basically volleying back and forth this this I don't want to say energy, but you're just kind of giving each other the permission back and forth to, te- to keep the conversation going. And that's when the real magic happens. I think that's why all of us enjoy the podcasting format and medium is that we get to learn something that we've never heard or, or known about some of our favorite people that we we've loved for a long time. I mean, you listen to that chat with Chino from the Deftones or really um, any of the episodes that Dewey has done. And he's able to just kind of get something out of people. And it's what has always endeared me to, you know, like the Marins. I, I joke now that I'm slowly turning into Marin where I'm like, so here's some of my bullshit. What do you got? Let's figure this out. Right. Yeah. And on that Lee episode coming up, it's like, yo, like that's kind of what fucking happened is like, I said something, he says something back. We both fucking open up. And then you're just like, holy shit, you just really fucking opened up about something. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I don't really know that I've ever told anyone that. And yeah, that's how that's what this record, the whole fucking reason we're here to talk about, even though we haven't talked about the record, that is what it's influenced by. That is where the title and the song ideas and so forth came from. And you're just like, wow, son of a bitch. We got there in a really fucking crazy way. But I think people are really going to take something away from it. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what your chat with Dewey was, was that whole I give a little bit, you give a little bit, I give a little bit, you give a little bit. Uh, And you guys both tackle a subject or an idea. They weren't really questions. Hmm. Um just tackle a subject and idea from two different angles to give kind of that better lens or focused uh, perspective. And so, yeah, I I thought it was super cool. Um, I do appreciate the candidness of all of it. (laughs) Well, I think uh, we should be more candid and get into the conversation with Dewey. And we'll talk to you guys on the other side of it. things was uh there used to be um like our public access uh in the city i grew up in it was like pretty much locally ran by college kids mm-hmm. and <laughs> they would show the show dub bug man and it was like some like japanese tv show that they grabbed and then re uh did the audio for adr it and they would even keep in the uh <laughs> they would even keep the commercials in and just make up whatever they wanted to for the commercials, which was always funny. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite things, though, is like in the credits, it said uh, audio and visual done by Helen Keller. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I was like, like that's, that. such a, that's such a weird, stupid uh, throwaway joke that I don't think anyone's going to stick around to see. But it, oh. it made me pop real hard. So I was like, you know what? Funny. We had this guy at work that's an old man. He's half deaf, and he's just a—he's just, just biding his time till he can retire. Oh, that's not what I thought. And he'd always say—he'd <laughs> always say, "I'm Ray Charles." Uh, because he didn't hear you, mm. and I was like, "Okay." For I let it slide for a long time, and eventually, I was just like, "Dude, 
Ray Charles was not deaf. You're getting it wrong. So then he started saying, I'm Helen Keller. And I was like, dude, what is your deal? Like, have you, like, I don't know how many other like podcasts and stuff you listen to or what variety of podcasts you listen to, but by chance, do you listen to any of the Kevin Smith stuff? I try like the comic book men stuff and things like that. I see. So I am getting back into comics. I was in mm-hmm. comics as a kid, but then I got way out of it because fantasy is not a thing I'm into. But Same. I've never, I've never gotten through a full episode. Like I listen. There's a, one he does with Jason Mewes mm-hmm. that I listen to part of, but I never got through any of them. Mm. Um, but I love his, I love his movies. Yeah. Um, so yeah. there was a. Uh, I'm trying to remember why I brought this up. What were we just talking about? Uh, Oh yeah. Helen Keller. So on Smodcast, like one of the first couple years of Smodcast, um, he essentially starts saying like, hear me out now. I think the Helen Keller story is bullshit. (laughs) And he goes, cause I mean, like, think about it. Like, she has no concept of anything. Like, so you can't even like, at least if you're deaf, you can see. You know, maybe you can learn sign language, whatever. Like the, you can you can touch and see, or if you are blind, you can hear and touch. Like there's a few of the other senses that go together to help you, I guess, get some cognitive function. Whereas he's like, she literally can't see, can't hear. Like is basically an, an expressionless mute. And I'm being very generous with how I rephrase that. And he's like, so I think it's all bullshit. Like, she probably was a feral, like, almost like a feral animal. Like, can you imagine they take her somewhere and they're like, look, this is all horseshit, but just, you know, to kind of sell some books or to sell a feel-good story, like, just go along with it. Like, don't get within two feet of her. <laughs> oh, jeez. And it's one, as you start really kind of thinking about it, you're like, yeah, fuck, how? How how would you even start the the concept of any sort of language that makes sense for like, you know, like he was even saying, it's like you couldn't touch something and to, to get this, to get the identifying characteristics of size. Like if you're like, Oh, this is an elephant or it's as big as an elephant. You don't even know what a fucking elephant is, let alone how big it is to explain Mm -hmm. size and stuff like that. And it was one as I kind of really, as I really thought about it, even though he was really crass and crude in the way he presented his argument, I really was like, I think I kind of believe that because honestly, like it just it's and I know that's the whole point. It It's the impossible thing. That's why it's the miracle worker. But it's one to me where you're just like, I don't know that I believe that now that I really think about it conceptually, like how you would have to go about doing it, like just makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those where then you kind of start thinking like, well, what else kind of fits that like in light of this whole you know pandemic we've been in recently like something i've actually been thinking a lot about is you know it's it's something i was around for but i don't really remember much about about it like as far as seeing it on the news and so forth but thinking about when the aids pandemic first happened like how much misinformation was there were we pointing finger like i would assume obviously yes we pointed fingers you know at gay people like you know it was instead of you know like this as trump used to call it the china flu and all that kind of stuff like where we're pointing fingers at a specific person to target our frustrations our anger or whatever mm-hmm. you know did this happen with aids and i the only thing i kind of have come up with is like i guess we kind of pointed it at you know gay the gay demographic rightfully not rightfully so uh as we obviously have learned it, it's not just like a straight up like it's these people and then they gave it to everybody else but 
I haven't really been, I haven't done much research on it either, but it's just a thought I've been having where it's like, well, what else did we miss, get misinformed on or think was of one way or another? And maybe when you actually stop and about it, you're just kind of like, oh, I'm surprised these kind of things, like it makes you wonder, do this, how much sensationalized storytelling is there to sell something at the end mm-hmm. of the day? And, yeah. you know, it's, I guess at the end of the day, a pandemic isn't necessarily something you're trying to sell, but I mean, I guess the drugs and so forth or whatever it is, uh, fear, I guess, is a selling tactic and so forth. But um, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Been People are going to try to make money on it as much as they can. I mean, look at all these. I mean, it was something we talked about, too, for the show when we were rebranding during the pandemic was like, oh, yeah, they're making masks now. Like bands are making masks. And Dan and yeah, I both said, we're not going to profit off this pandemic. Like. If we're giving them out for free, sure, but we're not going to sell something to protect yourself. You know what I mean? Like someone's always going to find a way to profit, you know, and I'm sure sure. back in the AIDS pandemic or the the pandemic, the AIDS uh, epidemic, the the age of AIDS, when it came out, we didn't know what we were dealing with. So who's the first easy target to blame it on for one to get people off their back while they figure out what it is. And then I bet you there's less misinformation then than there would have been if it happened now. Yeah, it definitely is something with social media being what it is that I I obviously feel like it doesn't help things. Um, I know no. for me, you know, like and, and the few conversations, you know, we've had uh, over the last like week or so, I know that I will say like, you know, and I think I even just said it where it's like I haven't had a chance to kind of research it, like and do my due diligence before mm-hmm. I really speak on something at length. Yeah. But I'll at least kind of go with here was sort of my initial thought. Um, and I'm trying to figure out, uh, work my way through it and just kind of see what happened. Um, so that way, you know, the old adage of, uh, those who don't learn their history are doomed to repeat it kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's like one of those where it's like, you know, we literally have a wealth of information like right here, Mm -hmm. but it's that people don't even take the two to three seconds to look up something or contrary to that, look up the, look up things that maybe disprove, uh, your way of thinking, and at least try to gain some knowledge on something else, just so when you have a discourse with somebody, you can be like, you know, I actually see that. And that did kind of raise some some ideas uh, that countered what I initially had thought. But by and large, I don't feel like people are willing to A, admit they're wrong, or B, that they don't know everything. Yeah, that's a good point. We're off to a good start. We've been live eight minutes. We talked about Helen Keller and AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> I feel we're off to a good start here. Well, I mean, maybe this, she was patient zero. We just don't know. This is uh, this is a good start. This is a good start. <laughs> well, I told you I wasn't coming with anything prepared. <laughs> this is what happens. This is what happens. The Wild West, my friend. Well, I mean, that's kind of a funny thing. Like, so I know, obviously, for those that may not be super familiar with your show, like, I sometimes find that when I have other podcasters on, I'm like, oh, well, obviously, like, you like the people who listen to this probably are very familiar with the show and probably listen to it. But then I'm sometimes surprised when people are like, Oh, I didn't even know that person had a show or I didn't know who this person was. And then I went and checked out their show and really enjoyed it. So it's, it's something I've talked about quite a bit where there seems to be this perception that we all have to be in competition with each other at all times. Like we can't do anything to, we can't be friends. We can't, yeah. uh, you know, help each other in any way, shape or form that we can. And there's just this interesting facet to the podcast realm where it's like, oh, well, they must hate each other. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. 
it's a weird it's a weird medium where I think it's the only thing on earth where people compete that don't make any money. Uh, like, what are you competing for? Like, you're not making any money. You're not you're not the uh, uh, the five shows that make money and are supporting themselves just from a podcast. So, what are you fighting for? <laughs> like, what are, what are you competing for? I don't understand it at all. You can really think of this maybe the perception that if you got someone and I didn't, that it was like, well, if you didn't get it, then I would. That's the yeah, only thing maybe. I kind of come know. up with. I don't think of it that way. I don't think of it as getting, getting, like, I don't know. It maybe at the beginning, it was cool to like get someone that you had on your wall when you were a kid. But over time, it's become less about getting some like the get, right? Like the get makes it, a tabloid almost and the mm. the blabbermouth headline makes it a, a tabloid like it's not what i do is not that i almost yeah. feel dirty when something picks up something from my show because i'm not trying to sell tickets i'm not trying to i'm not trying to do any of that like i i genuinely want to talk to someone i'll talk to them like that i don't sit like holy shit this guy's sold 50 million records i have to get this guy could be the most boring person ever. And if I don't want to talk to them, like I don't have anything to say, I don't ask the questions. Like I don't, I don't go down the list of questions. So if I don't have anything to say, I don't say anything at all. I don't even ask. I don't even, I don't even try because I don't, I don't think anything valuable would come of that, I guess is what I mean. If someone has sold 50 million records and they're extremely boring, they've probably been in every magazine and everyone already knows everything about them that they want to know. And so I feel really weird when someone picks up the, uh, like, so for instance, uh, one of my recent bigger guests was Chino from the Deftones. And when we went out to lunch after the episode had, had been done, but before it came out and we're talking and he was talking about like the PRP and there's nothing against any of these websites. I read them all the time. I don't necessarily want to read my show stuff on there, but I always check them out. That's something I've done since I've been in bands. It's just like, what's going on in the world. Right. And uh, so I definitely like that they're there. And he was sitting there like, sometimes I'm just sitting there in the morning having coffee and, and I see something I said the day before already on this website. Like what is going on? Like why? And you know, uh, or I see a horrible review of something like someone just ripping me to shreds, like mean shit. And I'm, like, they think that we don't read those things. We read those things. And I thought that was interesting because the episode comes out and within six hours, whoever was doing the story on the PRP literally transcribed like 15 minutes of the interview word for word, like a full page sat and transcribed it. And I text him the link. He's like, I already saw it. And I, I was like, you weren't kidding, dude. Like literally six hours after it came out, it was transcribed on the internet. And that was not my intention. I didn't talk about the, the stuff that would be the headline grabbers. And uh, this is just something I'm, I'm wildly passionate about because the way, the way I look at it, not to get long-winded on it, but the way I look at my show being a conversation if you sit on a bus or a train and you sit next to somebody and they're interesting and you're talking and you talk for two or three hours till your flight's over or whatever, for one, you don't edit that. You can't. It happened. Like you can't go back and cut parts of that out. 
if you call the person an asshole mid mid conversation, they know you call them an asshole. <laughs> you know, you can't take it out. But in podcasting, we have these conversations and then we edit a bunch of shit out, edit out breathing and ums and ahs and, and try to make ourselves sound. But I don't do that. I don't touch it unless someone says, hey, I really don't like what I said there. Can you take that out? Absolutely. Because I'm not here to make that headline, right? It doesn't benefit me one bit to have blabbermouth or whatever pick up a story or have them not pick it up at all. There is no difference in downloads. There's no difference in any. And the person that reads that, who's to say they're going to come listen to 20 more episodes? They're probably just going to go listen for that thing. Holy shit, he said that. And then and then bail, you know? I don't know. I don't know how that got started, but I just, it drives me crazy. <laughs> it drives me crazy. The competition thing, I guess you were talking about, it's just silly to me. Like it's, it's really silly because it's a medium. It's like if we were all painters, you know, like, of course, maybe there's some competition there because maybe someone's selling their paintings for 50 grand a piece and the other person doesn't sell anything until they die, you know, then it's like, I need to eat this week. So I need to sell something. So of course I'm going to step on this person, but podcasting, there's so little money in it. There's nothing really to gain except maybe, holy shit, you had so-and-so on your show. If you're doing it right, it doesn't matter who's on your show. It does not matter. You can, you'll have the same amount of listenership that you did the week before. If you do it right, I feel. I think that's the interesting thing about this is, you know, you kind of made the joke a little bit ago that like, this is basically the wild, wild west right now. Um, Even though that it's still a medium that has existed for, I I think at least like 15 years or so uh, Mm -hmm. between like, you know, Nerdist at the time, WTF and, uh, I think Marin or I already said WTF, uh, Kevin Smith, I think were some of the first Adam Carolla, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those where I still, I still feel like when, you know, that it's a pretty oversaturated medium, but I also feel like it's still pretty new. Like when people are like, Oh, a podcast, what's that? Or like, mm-hmm. what do you do? Um, so, you know, it's interesting how there's not necessarily a right way or wrong way to do all this, but it's interesting that, I think at the end of the day, people do. I think some people start this, and at least in the 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 av the niche avenue that we're in, which is kind of more of a musician based conversations, interviews, whatever. Um, you know, you kind of find what you do. Um, I know initially, like for me, the podcast started off uh, where I wanted to talk to musicians that had other passions so like for a great example like porter from atreya was super big into photography still is and graphic design i knew that about him so i wanted to have him on and talk about those things not mm-hmm. about trade. um as such we had a really good conversation and we you know ended up becoming friends as a result of of that episode and that connection but eventually it kind of turned into a thing where i think some people don't necessarily want to talk about those things because it's the one piece of them that they get to be to keep to themselves. That's not, that's not out in the open for everyone to consume. And I kind of never thought about that. Um, There were a couple people I talked to initially in the beginning and they're like, yeah, I mean, I would love to talk about that, but it's kind of my thing. Um, And I, it's not for everybody else. Mm -hmm. That's kind of why it's, that's why it's my like side passion because it's not tainted by anything else or any expectations of anything. And while I totally understand that it was kind of a bummer going like, huh, I thought I had a a clever hook. Um, But then I also something my wife and, you know, one of my tattoo artist friends 
always said have always said to me is you know you get people just to open you up to you and tell you like really random shit that strangers should not essentially tell someone they met two minutes ago <laughs> and i was like yeah i mean i guess i don't know um so i knew i kind of had something a little bit different with what i do my line of questions um eventually kind of started changing into more of a quote-unquote interview-based thing but i also did my excuse me did my due diligence and would scour the internet for all written and you know video interviews and so forth and would try to listen and get an idea of the cadence of someone speaking um questions that have been asked a million times sometimes there's questions that get asked and they go down interesting tangents but unfortunately either the due to the time or the the host maybe not picking up on something there's a whole section of a conversation that it's like, if you just would have followed it there, it would have been really interesting to see where you go. And unfortunately they didn't. So sometimes they'll be like, you know, a while ago you talked about this. Let's talk further about that because I think there's some interesting, there's more interesting parts to that. Okay. And it's kind of a happy medium of, I think what you do, which is just a straight up have a conversation. But I also like to be prepared and have some questions because I've had guests when you have them on, they give you the real short choppy answers and you're like, Oh, uh, you're not really into having a conversation. So I guess I need to keep this. Like, I guess I'm glad I have some questions so I can kind of steer it somewhere to where there's kind of a definitive like arc to it. And then here's like, you know, the end and now we're done. Um, other times you get people like, you know, with Shannon from Godsmack that we just posted three hours later. And I was like, man, we covered a lot of shit, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. him, Last job, recording worship and tribute, his, you know, love of turtles and, you know, other like uh, reptiles and so forth. And, you know, his new record for his side band that he was doing and getting sober. And, you know, like we covered a lot of stuff at length. And when I got done, I was like, shit, this is like the longest episode, one of the longest episodes I've ever done. I don't know if I should cut this into three pieces so it's more manageable and digestible for people or if they're going to want a Rogan-esque thing out of this show because it's not what we it's not what we're known for. And you know, I put a poll out and everyone was like, fuck it, drop it all at once. We can, we can control how much of it we consume at once. You know, it's, it's kind of the, the joy of when you get a big episode is like, you know, kind of, you know, being excited to hear it all and wondering where it's going to take you. And sometimes with your show, like that's why I'm, I try to have a happier balance where it's like, I might have a couple of things written down as kind of a talking point that I definitely wanted to hit on. So I don't forget in the moment, but a lot of times now, if, if I don't have a natural way to get there, I'll just let it go because it's, it's not conducive to having a, a more natural conversation. Like you would, I wouldn't show up to talk to you in real life and be like, yeah. So anyway, I have these questions. And then you'd mm -hmm. be like, like, if I did that, you'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> I've been, I've had that happen. And it's hilarious. Uh, couple things on that where, and this is an extreme example, but I was just thinking of it as you're saying it, where, you know, getting people to open up where normally they wouldn't open up to a stranger like that. Think of, think of, uh, say you're on a plane or a bus or something, right? Not even a plane. We won't say a plane because this is a bad deal. Say you're on a bus. There's two of you. It's late at night. There's you two of, on a bus. You don't look at each other. You don't talk to each other. Guy gets on the bus, sits down the front, gets up, pulls a gun. He's going to rob the bus, right? Who's now the most important person? And the, the closest to you in that situation, the person you weren't paying attention, that stranger is instantaneously the most important person in your survival. Like we need to figure this out quickly, right? 
is no different than getting on the phone with someone you've never talked to before and getting them to open up. It's just human connection. Like it's, it's, it's basic primal connection. Like we're all connected. We just shy away from each other. We shy away from, we shy away from these things where why can't I tell the person uh, what happened to me as a child on the street as I'm walking to my car tonight? Like what's holding me back? I mean, there's social things in place that you don't do that, but there's really no difference whether you just met the person and don't know anything about them. It's actually more interesting to hear those things than getting someone you've known for 20 years to open up about that. You know what I mean? Um, because your context is different. If you've known someone for 10 years, you're good friends. And then they're like, Hey, I got to tell you something like this has been on my mind. This happened to me when I was 10. You then go back and, and qualify that to everything you ever known about that person. That's why he did this. Hmm. That's why he said that that one time and got super offended. And I didn't know why you go back and qualify all that. If it's someone you don't know, you don't have to do any of that. Everything is just moving forward. And it's super interesting and super engaging. And, and, and I love it when stuff like that happens because, and that's why I don't research these things because I like being in the hot seat. Like I like that's what fires me up is, is the art form is the conversation. So that's like, give me a paintbrush and put me in front of a bunch of people and let me make something out of it. Right. Like, and with the short answer thing, that happens a lot. But you, it, that I kind of love it when that happens because then it's like, okay, it's game time, right? Because we have to keep a flow. It's entertainment. It's not, and I can I can say what I feel about it, but it's entertainment at the end of the day when you put it out for someone to hear. If I was just recording these for myself or just having <laughs> these conversations, it would really follow along what I'm saying. But the fact that I put it out and put my name on it, like it's there's ego there. And there's uh, it's it's entertainment. Like, why do I think anyone's going to listen to a conversation with me and somebody else? That's ego right there. Right. So there's a little bit of ego involved. It's like, who wants to be president of the United States? As Ian McKay would say, some asshole, because you got to be an asshole to step on that many people to get to that position. Right. And to think you could do that. Um, so there's a little ego there, but still. uh I'm losing my train of thought here, but anyways, but the, the speaking to strangers, speaking to people who don't know the research thing is not how I operate, but I completely understand how other people do that. You know what I mean? Like I'd rather not know the person's cadence or anything, but I'd rather just hop on because everything from that point on is new. It's kind of like with touring where I know you haven't toured, but like I got so jaded from touring. Like I was recognizing Chevron bathrooms like I just took a shit in here like three weeks ago. Like I was just here. I was like, this sucks. Like it's just, nothing's new anymore. First time I go to Europe on tour, everything is new. Every bathroom, every McDonald's, every highway. I'd never been there before. And I was alive. Like it was, it was amazing. But then you get back to the States and it's like, shit, we're in Baltimore again, or we're at, you know, it, this club again. Oh, I hope they have this, you know, it becomes normal. And, uh, I just, that was one of those times where I really realized I liked things that are new and fresh and I've never done before. So that's kind of where everything kind of stemmed from, like chasing that feeling of uh, not repeating myself. You know, something that's kind of interesting in, in listening to your show, you know, you you talk a lot about the, the story basically of how touring for you kind of came to uh, came to a wrap, you know, you were out with, I think at that point it was Portugal. The man had officially changed the name. 
you were out with them, had this opportunity to play bass for Poison the Well, went on, mm-hmm. I think, a, a European run, and then you were supposed to come back and then do a Poison the Well run. And then essentially in that time, they found somebody else. So you had already put in your <laughs> your notice. They got a replacement <laughs> for you in Portugal, the man. You went to go start with Poison the Well, and they are like, oh, we already got someone. And then you're just essentially, you know, out, a gig. Yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. Now, the, the, the part of the timeline that I'm a little shaky on um, – were, were you married at this point or at least with your now current spot? No. no. Okay. Uh-uh. Okay. Nope. What, what I was trying to figure out is, you know, what's interesting about that to me is like, you know, you hear some stories of, of some of these, you know, past musicians and so forth where that's happened to them and they just kind of go, all right, well, um, so I'm out of the band I was in and the other opportunity I had's gone. Um, I guess either I'm going to become a studio musician. I'm going to go tech. I'm going to, I'm going to do something to stay, you know, it's what I like to refer to as pivoting. You still want to do the thing that you enjoy doing and being a part of it, but maybe you're not able to do it in the capacity that you wanted to. So you pivot so you can at least kind of maintain the dream or the lifestyle of what you want to do. I've never heard you say if you tried doing that at all. Hmm. Well, the exact story, it's its uh, that I've never really said the exact story. It's kind of just an abbreviated thing. But uh, so at this point, Portugal Man is not massive like they are now. So we were doing good tours, but I was having to ask John for 20 bucks to get burritos all week while we were at home. You know, like, dude, you have 20 or 25 bucks so I can get a burrito each day, like, so I can eat. And he's like, yeah, I think so. Like, come, come over and I'll give it to you. I was like, cool. And we would go, like, we, would, we were living with Zach's, uh, Zach, the bass player, his brother, and a bunch of his friends had a house. And we were crashing there in the basement when we were in between tours. And we'd practice there, too, because they had a band as well. So mm-hmm. the basement was a practice room. It was an old dental office mm-hmm. in a house. So it was like this weird fluorescent <laughs> light, like craziness. And I was crashing in a room upstairs because one of the guys was out. And I got an email. So we did a tour, a full U.S. just before this with Poison Well. It was Portugal Man, Poison Well, Fear for March Flames, and Heavy Heavy Lolo. And I really hit it off with the Poison Well guys, which I had before on Warp Tour back when we were in Anatomy of the Ghost. Uh, we, I was always joking I'd make friends with bands so I could use their air conditioning in their bus because we had a 15-passenger van with 15 with people. Everyone oh, okay. brought their, their brother, sister, whatever. We were sleeping sitting up. It was insane. And on a bus-routed tour, that's fucked. And so... Poison Well guys and I would hang out on, on the bus in air conditioning playing video games while the band made fun of me for being a fanboy, which now they realize I have all these friends that I was talking to back then that, hey, I got a podcast. You want to come on? And they're like, how'd you get this person? I was like, you remember when I was fanboying, as you said, hanging out like I was establishing relationships with people. Anyways, I get an email from Ryan Primack from Poison Well, the guitar player, and he and I had been hanging out pretty much exclusively on that tour almost the whole time. He had just lost his dad. We were geeking out on gear stuff and music and just talking every day, like really growing down. And uh, he emailed me. He's like, dude, we need a bass player. Like, do you want to do it in an email? And I was like, dude, absolutely. Like, that's awesome. Like, when are you talking? He's like, you moved to Florida like now. It's like, dude, I leave for Europe tomorrow with Portugal, the man for a month and a half. And he's like, cool, we'll do that. When you come back, like move to Florida, we'll we'll try it out and see how it goes. Cool. So I literally walked out of the bedroom I was in, and John Gorley and, and uh, Zach were sitting there. I was like, guys, I just got an offer to join Poison the Well. They're like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, because at this point, Poison the Well is bigger. 
They toured more countries and played aggressive music, which I like playing live. Portugal didn't play very aggressive music. And uh, I liked the like hard music live. And like, are you going to do it? And I was like, I think so. Like, like you're not going to Europe? And I was like, no, I'm going to Europe when I get back. They're like, cool, that'll give us time to find someone to replace you. And I was like, sweet, perfect deal. And I'm still going to Europe, awesome. So that whole timeline, like then, so I got back, they'd replaced me, Poison Well had gone on that other tour with somebody else. I think the guy who's still in the band, technically, that plays bass for him when they do it. Um, anyways, I get back and I'm like, shit, I don't have a job. So I literally walked down the street because I didn't have a car. Walked down the street and got a job at Target as a manager. Like I didn't pivot. I didn't. I didn't pivot into music. I was like, you know what? Fuck music. Fuck touring. I'm done. I've done my time. I don't want to go through this rat race anymore. I want to have money in my pocket. So I literally walked down to the Target. I knew retail. I'd done it before, and went in to apply for a sales associate job. And then they asked me to be a manager. I was like, okay, uh, some departments or whatever, because I knew I had experience. And then I ended up at Target for five years. So that like derailed all music. I stopped going to shows. I stopped doing anything. Like I didn't buy records. I kind of just like went the other way. Like, all right, it's time to settle down and live at home. It was weird. Weird time. It is weird. You know, I have a friend, uh, Frank, who was in a band, like a hardcore band out of Long Island. And they ended up getting signed uh, to a couple of smaller labels. I think like their quote unquote peak was uh, signing to Just Time. And, you know, they toured, they toured, they toured, you know, and just, you know, kind of never really got over the hump um, and was one of those things where, you know, I've had Frank on a couple of times and, you know, we're good friends. But, you know, I remember the first time talking to him because I never really knew him as Frank, the guy from the world we knew. I knew him as Frank that TMs and does a million fucking jobs on tour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we're talking about this, the story it was like, dude, like it just wasn't sustainable anymore. And I literally got offered to go tour manage for Bam Margera's Fuckface Unstoppable tour, making more money than I'd ever done touring ever. And so I did that. He goes, I literally played my last, like, played my last show, got on a flight, and then start kicked up on the tour as a tour manager. And I basically have been TMing merch, lights, whatever it takes, you know, to where now, you know, he did that to then, you know having you know the gig with cky doing stuff with the mirror doing stuff with you know all these other bands and networking and so forth to where now you know like right before all this pandemic stuff he'd been hitting the road quite a bit with uh with andy black and blackville brides uh he kind mm-hmm. of branched off into kind of hip-hop stuff doing you know sold out like 800 cap rooms or more uh in the hip-hop realm and it was just kind of one of those where it's like you know it's a great example of someone going like i don't want to give up so i'm going to pivot and I think that's something as I've done the show quite a bit is I, I see that there's a lot of that where, you know, you talk to more of the behind the scenes people in, that, in, in theory, but uh, I guess it applies to a lot of musicians. Like maybe you wanted to be the lead singer, but it just never panned out. So you pivoted and you became a guitar player or you learned how to play bass or you learned how to do something else. And now you have a career in a band or doing something in the industry where you look back and you're 20 years into a career and you're like, oh, my God, look at all this shit I've done. Yeah, I'm not like on stage, maybe, but like I've gotten to do and live a life that is exactly what I wanted to do. And it's with, you know, your brothers of sorts. So it was always one of those, as you told your story, I either was just like either somehow I've missed that little gap in between of where the band wasn't the band life wasn't anything and the podcast. And, you know, I know you have said at times like, you know, I've gotten I got out of the music industry, but I wasn't sure if it was kind of one of those things where 
it's because maybe at the time there wasn't a way for you to pivot to get into back into it or keep going down it. So there's maybe a little bit of resentment uh, toward an industry where through no fault of your own, you did everything absolutely the way you were supposed to, to where you didn't fuck anybody, which is absolutely who you are. If you listen to the podcast, you can tell that you're just a, a stand up person that way. But in the end, it kind of ended up fucking you being the nice guy. Mm. Yes and no. It was kind of, it was kind of the timeline. So like when I started in music, it was me, uh, Nick, and Joe from Anatomy of a Ghost up in Alaska playing Green Day covers, like trying to play them better than each other and learning how to play guitar. <laughs> we started a punk band called Nice Guy Eddie, which was awful, but I was the singer and guitar player and songwriter. And then when we moved to Portland, because we were like, we'd want to get signed and tour, we completely changed sounds. We changed band names. We changed everything. And we were a band called The New Hope. Um, and that's what turned into Anatomy of a Ghost. And I was a singer, uh, singer, guitar player, songwriter. And then Joe and, and Nick would write some of the songs as well. But I wrote all the lyrics and everything else. And then it, it was our thing. And then when John got on board, Gorley, he was writing his own stuff up in Alaska. Nick and Joe went back for Christmas. He played him some of their stuff. They're like, hey, let's see what John does vocally. Like, cause they knew I wasn't super into being the lead singer. Uh, I was just the only one in the group that could sing. Like there was no one else could sing. Uh, and I was like, cool, let's try it out. Brought him down. It sounded great. So then we became anatomy of a ghost. And so half the set I would sing half the set John would sing until we got fully acclimated. And then everything popped off mp3.com, all this shit with like going back and forth with static lullaby, like all these things where like labels started noticing. And then we got signed to rise when they were about to tank. And uh, then Craig sold us to fearless, uh, which was great for rise. And then uh, we decided to sign with fearless. Anyways, there's a whole long story there, but from that to that band breaking up where I was a part of the like songwriting and everything else to then going and starting the burning room, which is the band I did in between where I wrote everything uh, and then we did a record with Media Scare. It was super heavy. I love that band, and it was with awesome dudes. And we toured a lot on the West Coast, but it just wasn't getting any ground. And so when I got the offer to join Portugal, I did that. But then I was just like a hired gun, but I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> so it was like uh, I was in this rad band and playing other people's songs every night. I didn't have to drive. Like I was just there to play guitar. And that was cool. But after a while, then it's just like, it, it's literally a job. Like, I have no stake in this. So it was kind of an easy transition to be like, okay, I don't like being on the non-creative side. I lived for those moments at night when when Jason and Zach and I would lock in together. In these, We had like specific parts where we're like, let's see where this goes and we'll jam here. Like after this chorus, let's just see where it goes and we'll bring it back around. And those nights, we just close our eyes and just lock in. And then it was total creativity. And I felt on fire. It was awesome. And we still talk about it to this day, locking in together. We just say locking in. And it's just like, oh, yeah. You know, that was the good <laughs> stuff. That was the stuff that I loved about playing music. And I, it was so little of that that I was literally at work when I was on tour. So I was putting my life on hold to do play other people's songs every night. And, you know, a lot of times I was the one taking the picture when someone wanted to get a picture with the band. I'd be the one taking the picture. I was like, I'm the biggest one on the stage. And you, they did. Oh, you're in the band? Yes, I was. Um, and I didn't care about that part. But doing that for so long, once it ended, I was like, I don't want to go be a tech. I don't want to go 
you know, and that's not to shit on any of that stuff. That's the awesome work, but I'd already been there where I was like, okay, I got to go to work now. And if I was going to do that, I wanted to get money. So I was like, well, they'll pay me every week at target. So I will do it. And, you know, and and Portugal didn't pay me because they didn't have money. And we knew that I was in it just to do it, help them out. Like, uh, there was nothing established. You pay me this much a week. We didn't make any money. <laughs> you know, it all went to the van, getting a new transmission, paying rent where we could live in a house in a basement. Like we knew that we'd lived that for so many years. That was the expectation. Hmm. So when things started to get huge for them, I was so happy because like I'm watching like Zach just like a year or two ago, got a Ford Bronco, like a 96 Ford Bronco. They won a Grammy that year. And he, he, that's the car he always wanted. So he got that because he would rent a car when he was at home. He wasn't home, but for two months a year, right? why would I want a car? But he finally bought a car and it was like a 96 Bronco and it's badass. <laughs> but it's what he's always wanted. You know what I mean? Like they still live the same way that they did before. And I love that about them, but I don't want to do that. And I think as of recently with this show, I think this was my place in music that I found now, not on stage, not as press, not as a journalist, but just cataloging these stories, curating these stories and, and building relationships with people, kind of being a conduit for uh, fans of these people to listen to the conversation that maybe they couldn't have. Because either they don't want to or are too scared to or don't feel that they should. I get emails all the time. Like, I could never talk to so-and-so. But listening to you talk to him, like, I felt like I was sitting there listening to you, you know? So maybe that's maybe that's the place, not on stage. It's kind of interesting. Like, that sort of was something that I had. I mean, I always knew I wanted to do something in music. Actually, that's sort of a lie. Initially, when I was a kid, I always said I wanted to be an English teacher or as I didn't know much about it, but I always said psychology or sociology because I thought it was cool uh, to help people in a different way. Um, but then as I got older, I was like, that's an over. Those are oversaturated job markets where you're going to incur a lot of debt and probably not make any money uh, to pay mm-hmm. off those debts. So uh realized, you know, like my last year or two of high school that it's like oh, college, if you're if you're not really sure of where you want to go, all it's going to be is a time suck. And a money suck that's just going to because no one no one's going to make you go. Um, And just as a whole, I was like, I just don't think it's going to be for me. I think I'd rather have, you know, practical real life experience, um, which I think for me has served me well. And I think it's definitely proven that there kind of are two different sets of people like those that, you know, I think are a little bit more ready right away to kind of just, you know, embrace life kind of head on and and just kind of like, fuck it. What do you got for me today? Ready to go. Um, and take it on head on and, and learn and take everything as a learning experience and kind of just the thrill of life. And then there are some that kind of, and I'm not shitting on anyone that went to college. Um, but you know, I, I, my personal experiences, I tend to find that a lot of people that went to college weren't necessarily ready to, to get serious and have to survive right away. It was like, well, I can, you know, do this and I don't really have to do a whole lot of work. And it's still, you know, I can kind of stay home with my parents or I stay at the dorm. Cause you know, I, pay for that and it's kind of a an in-between still of mm-hmm. you're not quite in the real world but you're not you know completely on your own you're, you're kind of you know figuring life out and that's fine but there's something i think a little bit for me where okay i got rent i got bills fuck i need to get a job and i need to like pay these things and i laugh now like looking at how little 
<laughs> those rent and or bills were <laughs> and that I used to sweat about where I'm like, motherfucker, like most of those bills combined are almost as much as my one car payment at this point, like with insurance. So like, Jesus Christ, like that wasn't shit. But it was a thing always something that spoke to me you know i was big into athletics uh and always still am but it's like i had this weird like dichotomy where it was like i was super big into uh sports and i played sports but those people weren't into music and then i had my friends who were into music that weren't into sports Mm -hmm. and so i never kind of felt completely fulfilled in you know in my life in that realm and I knew I wanted to do something in music because of how it made me feel and how I love talking about it and being around people who are passionate about it. And part of it is that I'm not the like I can learn very quickly, but I'm also bad at writing because like I listen to so much shit that I like might write a riff or something like that and go, oh, that's totally this. And then I just stop because I've already talked myself out of it because I'm like, oh, it sounds too much like this thing. So that was never really my strong suit. Plus I kind of hated the fact of, you know, trying to corral five, four or five other people to do one thing that we supposedly love, but can't ever get on the same page for mm-hmm. that kind of sucked. And then I segued into booking shows. Cause I got tired of people going, Oh, there's no good place to, there's no good bands. There's no great live bands. There's no good place to see live music. So that led to me doing that. And that was fun for a while. I, I love the, I literally just made something happen out of nothing. And now there are people coming from all over the world to come play and people are going to listen to this band and have a good time. And I'm, I'm the conduit for that experience. Nothing, you know, kind of got me off more than seeing a room full of people in a show that I put together where everyone's having a good time mm-hmm. and knowing that I made that happen. Yeah. And, you know, it was good, you know, having a good show and paying the bands, you know, the money they were asked and then, and then some, you know, because I know that that's not always how it's going to be. Like, they might eat shit the next night. But, like, the show that I paid them extra might kind of offset that a little bit and make the tour as a whole a lot better of an experience. So, unfortunately, though, the the dealings with actual venue promoters, uh, some of the bands themselves, and honestly, a lot of it was the local bands that I had to deal with. The egos is what I got tired of. I got tired of a band who is coming from 15 minutes away, you know, on a local showcase asking for a guarantee of $1,200. The show happened to do very, very well. And I was able to pay them almost $2,000. I actually think I paid them $2,200 to play a local Mm -hmm. show because they pushed that many tickets. So I rewarded them Mm -hmm. a week later. The dude that I handed the money to didn't even remember my name or who I was. And I was like, really? What other local show are you going to play where you get $2,200 for just, showing up basically and doing your job like you know i hate to say like put some respect on my name but motherfucker put some respect on my name <laughs> and it was a thing where that kind of drove me nuts and it reminded me that like th- maybe i'm trying to create an environment and a scene that reminded me of the scene i used to go to and experience and that's just for whatever reason can't happen anymore not like it used to be so i kind of gave up on that and then i started writing about going to shows And that was kind of a pressure I put on myself because I wanted it to feel like you were there. If you were there, you're like, oh, my God, that's exactly how it felt. But if you weren't there, I wanted you to feel like you were. Mm -hmm. And I would stress about it. And then there was one show uh, when I saw Brand New. And I was like, dude, this band's, I mean, I think, really pretentious. So fuck it. I'm going to write 
Actually, it was an interview on Lead Singer Syndrome uh, with Keith from Muted, and he had just put out uh, Scale. And at one point, Shane goes, man, you're making me pull out like the fucking dictionary, like two pages in. And then Keith goes, well, yeah, I really like I was trying not to like I started dumbing myself down for the average reader who's going to pick up my book. I didn't want to discourage them from reading my book because of the the vocabulary I'm using. And then I thought to myself, why am I discredit? Why am I cheapening my experience as the writer, not saying the things I want to say, how I want to say them, because I'm worried someone's going to pick up my book and then go, I can't read it or it's Mm -hmm. too tough. He goes, maybe those aren't the people I want reading my book. Yeah, And so I approached my writing that way and I wrote the way I wanted to. And it was the first time that the editor, like I sent it and I was like, oh man, I don't know how this is going to go over. And the next day, like my editor was like, hey, what's your PayPal? I want to pay you for this. It's really good. Sweet. And then I got to write a feature, which I didn't think was a big deal until the dude that I worked with at this site was like, yeah, other than the head dude, like no one writes features. That's awesome. It was the thing where, you know, constantly kind of stepping up to the challenge and, and doing really good work because I put the work in and I cared. But then it became a thing where I was always little guy. Even though I had written about going to see Janet Jackson, Little Wayne, and like a few other people that aren't metal or rock, but I always was pigeonholed as that person. And it's like, you may think of me as that, but I'm at the shows. And when your people can't get a press ticket or whatever, I'm already there because I wanted to be there. And that started pissing me off. So then I started doing this and, you know, kind of, again, back to the pivoting thing. I pivoted a couple of different times. And this is one of the first things where I have found, I guess, happiness in doing something where the work actually speaks for itself. Like you see things growing, you see, you know, the relationship you build with publicists, with, excuse me, managers, with band people and so forth, they grow and you can see the numbers growing and you can see people for the most part being pretty positive And it's really weird because it's like, unlike your story, I don't have necessarily those connections. Like I booked a couple of, you know, week, like week long tours with smaller bands and that I booked and went on and ate a lot of shit on them and thought to myself, like, this sucks for these guys because tentatively they're relying on whatever I was able to get them money wise. I'm getting paid. This is a vacation for me. So like, I don't care if we don't make money. I have money, but I just realized like, I don't think I could do that consistently because I felt bad that, you know, someone's putting their financial lives kind of in my hands. And that was kind of stressful. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just interesting to see how we all come to this and how we find ourselves in this. Uh, Even though our stories are completely different, we're still basically like over the last, what, two weeks or so, like been really just kind of getting along really well and have never met, (laughs) but you get a greater sense of who each other are because of, the very closed uh, oral experience uh, that you have week in and week out with us as the hosts. Yeah. It's something, it's something I take really seriously because um, there's a a girl who works for uh, megaphone. We met her at uh, one of the podcast movements. She's become a good friend of ours. Her name's Ray. And we were at this rooftop party in, Anaheim the first year and you know everyone's drinking or whatever and I don't drink so like everyone's fucked up and I'm probably the only person there is not fucked up but we were talking on this couch and she had to like talk really loud because it was super loud it was I forget who was putting it on um but anyways it's one of those conventions it's it's everyone there their podcast probably gets listened to by them and their family 
and they're trying to figure out how to blow it up and make it huge. Right? And even the people speaking sometimes, their podcast has less listen less listens than most of the people there, but they're speaking. And it's like, what are we going to gain from this? Like, what, what is the point of this? Like, the ticket's like $500. Like, who, the only reason I went is because Jabberjaw paid for it. I was like, yeah, I'll go. But I would never pay for something like that on my own. And Ray and I were talking, and she was talking about, I forget, I, I never figured out where this came from. But she was reading an article or something about how listening to something, like someone's voice, that per, if you listen to it enough, that person's voice becomes a part of your subconscious. So you're you're more apt to buy things when they tell you to buy things. Uh, check out this band. Check out this podcast. Buy this Manscaped razor. You know, right in the middle of a fucking, and I'll say this, right in the middle of an amazing interview, right where an awesome story or point is going to be made. I won't say the podcast, but Neil Fallon from Clutch was about to make a great statement as he's like, huh? Do your balls need trick? It comes in with a mid-roll live read of a ball trimmer story about his balls. Not Neil Fallon's, <laughs> but it, I shut it off and I never listened to that podcast again. Um, but that kind of stuff, like you become part of someone's subconscious. And the fact that they're usually listening to podcasts, why, I don't know why I'm talking. I'm talking into this mic. I don't have this microphone on. Like I've just had, it's a habit. I'm like leaning into it to talk into it, but I'm just coming. I could, I mean, it's the same. It's not doing anything. Um, <laughs> it's the habit. It's the habit. Pavlovian uh, effects. Hey, hey. Um, but when we become part of someone's subconscious, it's even heightened more because they're mowing their lawn. They're doing their laundry. So they're paying even less attention than like really focusing on a lecture that it just becomes their thoughts. Right. Because it's in, and I listen to podcasts sometimes when I'm going to sleep. And that's something I'll get to later because that that ties into something else. But uh, it's a responsibility to to be genuine to your audience. Right. Like I'm not going to sell you a fucking Manscaped razor unless I use one. You know, maybe if I used one and I thought it was cool. Sure. I'd, I'd talk about it. But I would place that ad very carefully if I was the one placing the ad. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean? Like, but what we're saying, like, if we're saying hurtful, mean things, if we're saying uh, like pointed things, and like it's going to put it in that person's head, and then they're going to associate those things with our voice because hmm. they're not seeing. Like right now, they're seeing us, but on my show, they're hearing me, and that's something I take super seriously because if, if I'm, and, and that's why also when it's fun and we have like, like Johnny and Christ and I just did an episode where we just had a fucking blast. There was no deep dive into like childhood trauma. There wasn't uh, the natural, like it was, it was just fun. We were talking about chicken wings in the bath, like, and, and being rich, like, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in not so many words, right? Like right. talking about, like if Avenged Sevenfold's off for two years, they're not going to lose their house. Right. They were around when records were selling. And, you know, things like that. Like, and that can be fun too and make things fun for people if they're doing their laundry and listening and laughing out loud. But they're laughing out loud at your voice coming into their ears. Right. So it's something that uh, you just got to be careful with because you do, in fact, become a part of them for a minute, like, or for an hour or whatever. It's weird. It's this weird thing. That's, you know, music can like lift you up and like make you feel things, but 
a person's voice on a radio can make you think things like direct. It's weird. It's funny you say that. Like, um, so I guess this will be kind of a, a, an interesting, like to kind of set it up a little bit. So I don't feel as necessarily vulnerable or whatever. Um, something I, I've kind of have thought that was really commendable with you kind of speaking to, um, you know, not being disingenuous, pushing things that you aren't necessarily using yourself and, and so forth. You know, something that I, I think has been interesting about your show, and at times I've kind of done the same thing, but almost in a, an apologetic manner because that's just sort of my personality. But, you know, you're one of the few that I can think of that when you're dealing with some real life shit, you're just like, yeah, and uh, sorry, no show for a month. Like that's just how it happened. Uh, real life happened and I needed to take care of that. And, you know, we're back. And it's something where, you know, like my uncle died uh, a couple of months ago and was a thing where it was pretty sudden. And my co-host and I needed to still do the intros and all that kind of stuff for the episode we were going to do. And I just couldn't find a time to do it. And I was like, dude, this sucks. Like, I got to get an episode out. Like, do you want me just to do the like intro outro without you? Or like, should we even post? Like, should I make a post about why we're not having an episode? And, you know, we kind of went back and forth and he was just like, that's fine. Just don't put it on an episode. Like, it's not going to be the end of the world. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I owe it to to whomever uh, that it's like there should be an explanation because it's a thing where, oh, it's Sunday. Where the fuck is the episode? Like, that's kind of what the condition has become. And there's this responsibility to the, the faceless and nameless entity of, of they uh, who listen to the show that you feel like you are responsible to them and that they you have to provide and give them what you have essentially promised them which is a show to be entertained. And it was kind of something I struggled with. And then I kind of had thought about like, you know, like I'm sitting there kind of going like, Oh man, I like family is more important right now. I need to go do the family thing right now. And, you know, I was thinking back to like, you know, when you had lost your dad and, you know, you explained what had happened and as much as that you were willing to, um, but you, like, I, I think, yes, you apologize, but you didn't feel like how I feel like I would have done it, where I would have been like overly apologetic for something that honestly I shouldn't have to. And it was something where when I thought of that, I was like, I feel like I should handle it more like that. Like, and it was one of the few instances someone kind of go through. And then shortly thereafter, you know, Doc Coyle kind of had something similar happen. You know, and he, even he was just like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, put any episodes out for the next little bit. I want to, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And, you know, I think that's been pretty commendable. And the thing for me, like even recently has been, you know, I had something I don't necessarily want to go into the specifics, but like I had something happen where I felt a huge emotional burden. And like then literally as soon as I got off the phone from this thing, just broke down in front of my co-host and, and this thing that we're on currently and did a podcast. I know no one can I know no one knows what was going on because I was able to put on that customer service face that I have from working retail and shit where I've had the most heinous things said to my face. And I had to kind of just be like, all right, well, your total is going to be 34, 33. Can I help you with anything else? And it's like it's it was kind of weird that I was able to just kind of put on the broadcasting voice and shit and just kind of be like, hey, welcome to another episode and just kind of get into the flow of things. 
And then as soon as I was done, it was like almost like uh, that was all the energy I had to be that person for 20, 30 minutes with Dan. And then it was back to just being in the shits to mm-hmm. where then it was like, I need help. I need to go talk to someone and, and get this figured out. And that's something that, you know, has been interesting, I think, on the podcast. Like we've touched on it a couple of times when you have those really real moments. But I think it's it's hard at times and something, you know, I think you probably get a lot of fan mail for this, which is being open and not really having any off uh, anything off limits to talk about just the real human connection of experiences. And it's something that I think I want to try to do and have been slowly integrating in, but have been burned a couple of times where like where you say something or you try to do something like that with a guest. And the guest is like, you know, when you're done, they're like, oh my God, that was so great. I'm really glad like you really got like, you know, we really connected there and that was really awesome. And then you get some or, or a couple of shithead people like leaving dumbass comments and you're just like, well, was it really worth it? Like I, this person and I had a connection, but these people are just like, oh, this fucking person with their problems too. I don't, I don't come to listen to these people to hear someone else's bullshit. I wanted to hear them, and it's like it, you're kind of torn as to how to proceed. Um, so I guess the question in there maybe for you is like, how how have you kind of wrestled with that on how much of yourself to to let in versus maybe keeping some things to yourself or for yourself, I should say. Well. I don't I don't really think there's any value in keeping things to yourself like I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily put my stuff on other people like go out and just tell somebody like hey I'm going to tell you about this you know um but I think internalizing things uh, is is uh detrimental to your mental health I think holding on to things, holding on to grudges, like you mentioned the retail thing, someone saying something to your face. And I think you're probably a lot smaller than I am. I'm oh, yeah. six foot five, 368 pounds. And, uh, I'm five, so, six. <laughs> I, yeah. So I, when I was working, well, retail, I also look yeah, like this. <laughs> so I'm kind of surprised I, people do say shit to my face like that. People would say things like that to me. I did it when I was bouncing at clubs too. I'd be like, you know what? Let me see what I can do. Can I get your ID? And yeah, fine. Fuck, here it is. I'd look at it for a second and I'd either write something down or I'd just look at it for a second. I'd hand it back to him. I was like, you know what? I really can't help you here. But the only difference is I know where you live now and you don't know where I live. And I get off at nine o'clock. So sleep tight. And I'd send him <laughs> on their way. And you'd be like, what the fuck? You know, like that's fucked up. Yep. See you later. Have a nice day. I would do shit like that. Like just fuck with them in their brain because. You're not going to fight the person right there. You're not going to lose your job over it, but you absolutely, I got your address now. Thanks. You know, Um, but internalizing things I think is, is damaging. I hold a lot inside anyway. I have kids, so I don't want to, you know, put my (laughs) bullshit on them, which I end up doing anyway. But as far as like how far to go with myself, I didn't really know. I've always been a pretty open person with people maybe not necessarily my family, hmm. but with other people like friends and, and people I would meet. I never really felt this like uh, compulsion to keep things in or to put it out. But as the show progressed, uh, connections were coming up with things that had happened to me. Like one of the last episodes I put out, 
before I went on that little hiatus that you're talking about, uh, was Chris too from Anti-Flag. And we're sitting there at the Hawthorne Theater in person doing our thing. We'd never met each other before. And we're just going off and you listen to that episode, like his, uh, I don't remember if, forgive me for not remembering which, if it was an uncle or father was a child molester. Mm. Uh, my uncle was a child molester, uh, not child molester, but was put in prison for child pornography. He wasn't making it, but he was in possession of it. Right. Which put the whole family in upheaval because it's a whole Mormon side of the family. Um, so that was a similarity. His uh, brother being murdered. My brother was murdered. Like, uh, sister committed suicide. My sister committed suicide. Like, all these connections were coming up. And I was like, dude, this is fucked up. Like, and so I talked about it for the first time on the podcast because I usually try to keep my shit out of it. But if there's a connection there and that's where it's going, I will go there. You know, like with uh, Brian McTurnan. Like, we broke down twice, I think, on that episode. Just talking about the guilt you feel. You know, like... When you're, you know, we both suffer from, he's bipolar and, and all sorts of other things. Um, and I suffer from massive depressive disorder. So I, there's like a constant blanket of like just awfulness on me all the time. And just how going home to my family doesn't help a lot of the time. The people you love most aren't enough to make you feel better because your mind is fucked up. Right. Like you're you're either whether it's chemicals, whether it's something else. So we connected on that point. So like when my dad died, I was not ready for that. That was a fucking nightmare. And that episode I put out with Yvette right afterwards. I think he died on a Friday and I put her episode out on like a Tuesday right afterwards. And I was I went back and listened to that intro that I recorded in my old bedroom. Uh like, I just need to put this out. Like, I have to do this. Like, my voice was different. My whole demeanor was different. I remember how I felt. And the the cool thing about that whole situation was talking to Yvette about it. Because her and I, her and I have had conversations off air. We're all just call her and we'll just talk about. I mean, we met through the podcast. We, right. It was like, hey, do you want to talk to this really good guitar player? Sure. Turns out. I was playing in Portugal, the man, the show she saw at the bottom of the hill that made her want to play music. That was the show. And now we're talking to each other and she's something else. She's a, a just a virtuoso. It's amazing. But she's also a very good person and I feel comfortable talking to her. So we'll talk and she'll talk to me. Like when that stuff was going down with her and the stuff with the periphery dude, before any of that statement came out, we were on the phone talking about it because like, should we do this? Should we not do this? Should we, you know, like, and I'm talking to her about my bullshit. And uh, I told her about my dad. My dad loved Yvette. Like, he loved her music. And she was actually up in Seattle, wasn't able to go to the show when he was in the hospital. She's like, you should have told me. I would have come and played guitar for him. I was like, that would have been the greatest thing ever, to sit in the room with him and play guitar while he was in his coma state. People do that with harp and stuff, and it's pretty amazing. But to have her offer to do that regardless, but also because of the show – having one of my dad's favorite musicians be able to come play for him, even even though it didn't happen, the fact that it was there and would have happened felt really good. Like these connections are meaning something, right? Like we're carrying them past that hour and a half, two hours on the chat, right? We text every, every week or two, like it's, it's, and it happens so often. So 
when I feel the connection, which I always feel the connection, but some are, of course, deeper than others, I hold on to that. And we usually take it way further than on the podcast, you know, but these little vignettes of time that we're capturing right now are something we can revisit as much as we want. And someone's going to discover 10 years from now for the first time and then send an email about how it changed their perspective on something or, or it's what they needed to hear that day. That's the real shit that makes it less about ego and more as a public service of putting out stories that people can connect with or hate or whatever, being a, uh, just a productive member of society by helping out, putting something out in the world. You know, it takes it less from people are going to listen to this because it's me talking to so-and-so and it makes it more, I'm going to put this out there and see what happens. And when it comes back that it helps somebody, there you go. Right. It's like the, when you write something in the paper or in a magazine or a website, like, you put it out there like what Henry Rollins wrote that bit about weightlifting, you know, uh, friends come and go, but 250 pounds is still 250 pounds, right? Like how it puts you in your place. It's all over gyms all over the world. And he was just putting his thoughts out there. Right. It wasn't like, I'm going to write this shit and put it out there. It's like, Oh, they need me to write how many words. Okay. I'm going to write what I'm thinking. And now it's on the walls of gyms everywhere. Right. The, um, so yeah. And I apologized I genuinely felt sorry about not putting stuff out because I know people were waiting for the show. You know what I mean? It's like when, when thrice had to cancel that show because Dustin literally could not sing. Uh, I think it was in Detroit or somewhere like that. Mm. Looking at the comments from that, like they had never canceled a show. Yeah. Like Riley yeah. threw his back out. Like he's the, the, someone else is playing drums or playing acoustic, right? Like, but Dustin could not sing, couldn't do it. One night of 20 some years as a band. And so people are like, what's the big deal? Like they'll make it up. But then you look at people that bought hotel rooms and got babysitters for the weekend so they could travel to this show. People, when you put yourself out there in public and people start gravitating towards it, people are going to start changing their lives too. As little as it is like, man, my commute's going to be awesome on Tuesday because there's a new episode coming out. They're excited about it. And that means something to them. Maybe my dad died. That has no bearing on them. They don't have to deal with that. I have to deal with that. But when that's too much for me to give them what they were waiting for, I feel genuinely sorry about that. Like, I'm sorry that I didn't give you that episode that week. I'm sorry you didn't have what you were looking forward to because that's something I've been trying to give you every week. But I had to say it because I felt it. I felt sorry. Like I was like, that's this sucks. I'm really sorry, but I just can't. I'm not going to sit there and please forgive me. You know what I mean? But I acknowledge the fact that I took something from them that they were waiting on, that they had no idea what was going on in my life. So that I felt that responsibility again, responsibility to give the right stuff to people and something real also when it doesn't happen to acknowledge that yes, something that they were waiting on didn't happen, you know, and there's a, here's a reason, you know, not that I even needed to give a reason, but I did because I'm honest with my people, you know, like I want them to know what's going on. I didn't of course get on the mic the night my dad died when I called my wife to let her know what had happened and I'm bawling my eyes out in the parking lot of the hospital in Bellevue, Washington I didn't shut a mic on and like put all my thoughts into it. I should have maybe, but 
that's for me, right? And if it comes to that point again where that comes up like that and I'm on the podcast, it'll be on the podcast. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, I don't know if I answered your question. I kind of no, went all over it, the place. It, it does. I think that's kind of the interesting thing as you do this is, you know, some of my favorite podcasts are basically those where you you get to know the person that's the host, um, or in some instances, hosts, plural. Um, but it is a thing where, you know, like one of the things I love about Marin's podcast is it seems like he sets a question up with his guest just so he can work through his own shit <laughs> with somebody else. Yeah. But yeah. in turn, they essentially sometimes will open up and kind of share something about them. And then they just kind of have like a 10, 15 minute like session, basically, where they're just kind of working through their own shit together. And I kind of like that. But at the same time, it's like it's it's really adventurous of some people just to, to throw it out there like that. And it almost it's weird. It's almost like the people who are known for that have some like I can never pinpoint where it started, but I can always go like I feel like at some point there was a, a, a such a weird term to use, but like almost like permission was given. Maybe it started slowly like I shared this and everyone kind of, you know, didn't poo poo on it. Or got some comments saying like, oh, yeah, me too. So then a little bit more comes. And then a little bit more comes. And then, you know, that's kind of the funny thing about listening to, you know, a podcast as it's grown. Like today in preparation kind of for this, you know, I was, you know, I think you and I had been talking uh, previously about, you know, just kind of like how the show started and some of our like earlier gear and, and you know, all the things we've kind of done over the the years of doing our shows. And it was something like I was like, you know, I know I've had some conversations with other podcast hosts where they're like, Oh, after a certain point, like the first 25 episodes gone, can I won't ever let anyone hear them. And I'm like, nah, like, I mean, especially since most of these people are, are in and from bands, it's like, but isn't that kind of the beauty of it? It's almost like going back and hearing a band's or like first record or their demos, like where it's like, you can hear the progression as you go and you can find how this person found their footing along the way where it was like, Oh, we tried doing this. Uh, that didn't quite work. We, we, we pivoted and found something that kind of fit for what the show is now as it sort of has become. And, you know, going back and listening to some of the, the earlier episodes that I had done, it was like, yeah, the, the audio quality was kind of eh. there were some other things where I was like, I wouldn't do that anymore. But by and large, the, the heart of what makes, I think, our show at least, you know, unique or what people like about it was still there. You could hear it from episode one. And I think that's sometimes kind of the interesting thing is, you know, a lot of a lot of people will want to go back and be like, oh, but it sounds so bad. I don't want people to hear it. And it's like, but maybe they'll hear what made your show or what makes your show your show. They'll find it. Yeah, that's why I think it's ridiculous to 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 take down anything from that. Like, what does a band do 20 years in? They sell you a remastered <laughs> version with the demos. Yeah. The stuff you would have taken down. I didn't demo anything, and I, I don't. I'm gonna sound like an asshole on this podcast. I'm just kind of going off on things that drive me nuts. But I, I knew if I demoed this show, I would not put it out. Oh, you didn't. Have I'm a one of those guys. I got. I have. <laughs> you know what's fucked up? The first thing I ever recorded, I before I recorded in an interview, before I recorded anything, I recorded an intro to the podcast. Turned on the mic and went. 
that is the first thing that comes up when you look at my show is the intro to peer pleasure or whatever oh, yeah. introduction to peer pleasure. That's the first thing I ever fucking recorded on a microphone on my computer before I'd ever done an interview or done an episode of the show. So now almost 200 episodes in, that's the first thing a lot of people are going to hear and be like, huh, this guy sounds like a douche. <laughs> I don't care. At one point, this is what you got to think about. At one point, those early episodes meant something to you. At some point in time, you thought it was good and put it out there to the world because it meant something to you. My first record I put out is Nice Guy Eddie with the song Thrift Store Romance about going and buying a tie to look like Billy Joe and meeting some girl at the thrift store. It never happened. But at one point, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. So it's out there. It's on a record. Like, it's still there. I can't erase that, and I wouldn't erase it. It's something I did, and I played it a thousand times for show at shows, thinking this is a great song. At the time, I genuinely felt that. So maybe now it'll mean something to someone else. Maybe it won't, but you don't delete it. Like, why would you do that? Like, it's part of your journey. It's part of your show. Your show is... Like right now, my show is 196 episodes. That's my show. It's not 190 all of a sudden because I deleted five of them. And not to say you shouldn't delete it, but I feel you should not. I feel you should show your journey, show your work. Yeah. Like you used to do in school, show your work. You didn't just look that answer up. You dug for it. Like you did long division. You know, every week we're doing long division through the human experience. And whether it was amateur or not, it still meant something. It's still that person gave you time. Now, think of it this way. Your uncle passed away. My dad passed away, right? How many episodes do you have now? Uh, I think like we're at two over 274. Jesus Christ, two, 274. I'm at almost 200. What's your average episode length? Uh, About an hour. hour. Yeah. Okay. So it's 274 hours. Let's do the math here. How many days is that? 200, 274 hours. I just want to I want to put this point across here because it means something to me. But 274 divided by 24. That's 11 days. That's almost 12 days. Right? My episodes average close to an hour and a half, two hours. So if you had 11 days with your uncle that you could still have, That'd be pretty fucking amazing, right? Right. If I could have 11 more minutes with my dad to ask the last couple questions I wanted to ask that I didn't get to in our last conversation, that's priceless to me. And there are people that have listened to every episode of my show. That means they've spent however many hundred hours with me, right? Not with that other person. You know what I mean? That's important. And the hour and a half or the, the three hours, my buddy Matt Hopper, who played at my dad's funeral, that was one of the first episodes I did, the three hours he agreed to spend with me to record that first interview I did, that was three hours of his life that he gave to me to put out to the world. And because it didn't sound great, I'm going to delete it. <laughs> right? Like, how disrespectful is that? Yeah. That's, important. that's, that's three hours. He could have been somewhere else. He could have been with his dad, not up in that that living room or that bedroom in the top of that house with me putting my Zoom recorder with no microphone in on the table in front of us with him tapping on it. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing, but still, I took three hours of his life. I took it, and I put it in that little machine, and I put it out for other people to waste three hours of their life listening to. 
if they want to, you know what I mean? And I'm, I don't mean waste it, but to, to put it into the podcast, I'm rambling like crazy, but it means something because it's, it's something that is so priceless. Like, and those 12 days that I sat next to my dad in his hospital bed, just waiting for him to move a finger or a toe or not look directly through me. I don't know if you've seen that when someone is, is gone, but their eyes are wide open and they're looking through. It's like a painting where it's watching you. Yeah. He will look through you. And every once in a while would like gasp because he's intubated. He kind of do this. Like that was the only movement and it was involuntary. It wasn't moving a finger, squeeze my hand, dad. But those hours were excruciating because we weren't getting anywhere. Right. right. Like we were just, he's on 15 medications today instead of 16. So it's good. But then why is he still peeing purple? Cause his kidneys aren't working. So all the medication is just coming right out. Like things like that are, are I'm thinking of how many hours I actually spent with him then. And it was a lot, but we weren't talking. I was talking to him. Whether you could hear me or not, I will never know. But I would still give anything to have him back there, even just in that bed to talk to, you know, for an hour or three hours. So that's where I, that's what I equate the time to. But then I'll go and waste a bunch of fucking time doing other shit and not even think about it that way. But for some reason with the show, I think about it that way. I don't know what it is. I'll go play Mario Brothers with my daughter for three hours instead of going on a bike ride. My wife hates it, but we're having a good time, right? But I'm not thinking about, man, this time really is like valuable. I'm thinking, fuck, I got to beat Bowser, right? Like, <laughs> but then I'll think of the show and I'm like, this big grand thing, like, oh, fuck, this, you know, and think about time differently. It's weird. I don't know. I think the thing for me has become, it's something I think that I enjoy about it, especially during this pandemic. And, and I'll kind of pose the question to you when I'm done. But I feel like, you know, where a lot of people have this this past year or so not been able to have the human connection of going to shows, going out with to see each other and so forth, that it's not been as hard on me because I do this, you know, at least once or twice a week, I'm doing a show with somebody and I'm getting to have that converse, like the conversational aspect of going out and hanging out with people. And it kind of made me thankful that I decided to do this because it gave me an outlet creatively and just kind of that connection, connectional outlet mm -hmm. to not just be sitting in my home, like bummed that I can't do anything or go anywhere. Have you found kind of the same that you've appreciated the podcast more this last year, given the fact that uh, of the, the current nature of the world, basically? Yeah, I've, I've made it a point to not talk about the pandemic on the show when I can, just because I want the episode to be timeless. I don't want people to go back and avoid 2020 episodes because we're just going to talk about the pandemic. It's an important event, uh, like something we've never experienced in my lifetime. Hmm. Um, but... I do feel grateful that I was already set up with the show, able to do it remotely, uh, still have the connections, still, you know, I mean, I was recording most of the episodes in my car, like over the phone. But uh, yeah, with the, with the pandemic and everything, it's just, it's, it was definitely a blessing to have it already done. The one thing that really bums me out is doing, from doing the podcast for so long, so many stories of how people met were at shows. 
And like people that married each other and had kids met at shows. And that's not happening right now. So how many misconnections that would have happened, you know what I mean? Like great things are not happening because shows aren't around, you know? Those are, but then you think that's just how it's supposed to go anyway. So who cares? But I think about that that way. Like maybe so-and-so and so-and-so would have met tonight and started the greatest band in the world or had 20 kids that one of them became the next president of the United States. You know, like who knows? You know, right. you think of people we met through the show, like say Yvette again, right? Like Yvette and I still keep in touch. Like I said, she's one of the good, good friends I made out of this show. Phil from Caspian, same thing. Like uh, Gina Moreno, like all these people I didn't know before at all. And if I did, it was through fandom. And then all of a sudden, here you go. You're in it now. Right. And they become good friends. That was all through the show. You know, just like a, a regular show at a club, you know, you meet the same way. So maybe, maybe people are meeting through podcasts. Maybe that's how it's happening. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, I definitely, know. I'm, I've been grateful to have the show through the pandemic for sure because it's something that's already set up. It has nothing to do with social distancing; is not a problem. Um, you know, and it's giving people something to do. The one weird thing is listenership for podcasts as a whole was down, but podcast content was up because people were bored starting podcasts, but no one was commuting to work. A weird thing to see how that went. I was initially thinking when everything started, I thought the numbers were going to go just skyrocket because that's actually how it trended late last the year before. So I was like, all right, like seems like around the holidays and such when people are home or traveling a little bit more to these things, like seems like the numbers to uh, have an uptick. So I really figured kind of the same thing. Like people are going to be bored. And at that point, you know, we were putting out basically like two episodes a week and it was a thing where like the numbers just, I mean, we finished at the same. So we finished equally as we did the year before, but I really was expecting it to, to be the opposite. I thought it was going to be just skyrocketing and be like, Oh, thank God. You know that I've been doing this and already have a rapport of people, and I'm not one of the the newer shows trying to gain traction in this. Almost like you know a newer band trying to gain traction right now, but it's it was just kind of surprising. And I and I, I, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer to how to to go about you know with what you're doing. Some people I think, uh, you know, like I did a couple of COVID you know episodes. Uh, you know, one of the things that I was interested in was. You know, because I did an interview with uh, with uh, blanking on his name, uh, Jake from August Burns, not Jake, uh, whatever, someone from August Burns Red. It's gonna bum me out that I can't remember his name. Um, but then I also, like an hour later, did one with uh, Justin from Kill Switch. That was literally the last date of that tour. Uh, and hearing the news of what was going on, you know, we talked about it. So, and you know, like I said, it was an hour apart. Those were back-to-back episodes. And then essentially the next day, the whole industry shut down. So I had kind of reached out to, you know, Amy from Adam Splitter, reached back out to, it had to have been Jake, um, reached back out to Jake and, um, you know, my friend Frank and uh, I think it was Tom from the Acacia Stream. Because at that point, they were one of the last bands because they were essentially all the way on the West Coast. They were trying to figure out any way to make the tour still happen and on their way home. So it's like, here's a band person who literally had a whole tour that just literally started was one of the biggest tours of the rock metal scene. Done. What are you doing? Because, you know, and as uh, 
as Jake was kind of saying, you know, he was like, um, we had been off since late last year because we knew this tour was coming. We wanted it to be a bigger draw. So I had budgeted personally to be off for this long, not essentially like, you know, and this is at the very beginning of all of this. So he was like, I don't know if I'm going to have to like go into credit card debt to, or what we're going to do. So then, a, you know, someone that's not in the band and doesn't have, excuse me, band money coming in through different revenue streams and so forth. But it's like, okay, now what are you doing? Well, thankfully I have my clothing line, but like right now, like I'm kind of fucked. And I started this charity, like that's helping for out of work, you know, work uh, people in the industry. We started that instead, you know, instead of just doing nothing, I decided to do something to help those that are like me in my position, you know, then to Amy, it's like, how are you dealing with this as a publicist to when there's no touring and you technically probably have nothing to promote? How are you doing with how, dealing with this? How is it affecting you? You know, and then back to, to Tom from the Acacia Strain, it's like you guys <laughs> were so fucking far away from home. How did and you're literally trying to make everything work with changing capacities on hours notice like, well, we can't play this 400 cap room now, but we found another venue that will allow us to have 100 people come in we're going to make it work. And then you get there and you play the show, but then the next one you lined up for the next day is gone. So now instead of that four hour drive, now you got a 12 hour drive and you're not even sure that's going to work. How long do you keep the routing going before you just go, fuck it. I guess like we're done. Like we can't, this can't work. And to me, because of it being a unique experience, just globally and just as a whole, it felt like a need to kind of capture this this really weird moment in the music industry from a couple of different angles. So when people may, when we're hopefully on the other end of this and everything goes back to normal whenever that is or whatever normal becomes, you almost look at this almost as like a time capsule where it's like, wow, listen to them talk about this and it's still fresh. I haven't gone back and listened to it yet because I just it's still too too in the thick of it. But to me, like some of the conversations that I've had about it from people in the industry, it's been really interesting because, you know, like with Blasco, like kind of talking about like, Oh, is, is driving is, are we going to see drive-in shows come back? Like, or just drive-in experiences as a whole? Like, is this going to make everyone go, Oh shit, drive-ins are actually pretty fucking rad. Let's bring those back. Like what are going to be the weird ancillary things that we never, we didn't foresee coming back or happening as a result of this. And to me, like those have been some really interesting conversations, but I do kind of agree with your mentality too, where it's like, yeah, I also don't want to bog it down where somebody might be like, Oh, COVID. I get it. You know, like we were joking about how you said it's, you were kind of not too into this new season of SVU. Cause like they're wearing masks and all this kind of shit. And I was like, Oh, my wife said the same thing. She's like, Oh, I watched TV to get away from this shit. Like not to be, be reminded of it. So it's, it's kind of interesting how, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer to it, but it's just kind of interesting to see how everyone kind of chooses to go about it and what will happen, I guess, from, from here on out. But I feel like at least at the absolute worst, there's, keepsakes kind of to go back and, and remember where you were when these things happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that was the right way to do it is make it a pandemic episode. And Amy lost her father too recently. Um, and that maybe during, was it during this year? I think it was during this last year. Yeah. But, um, not, I don't think it was to COVID, but she, I mean, going through that in that time when you can't be with somebody or, you know what I mean? Where depending on where you're at, um, it's wild, but, yeah, if you're in a if you're in a band and you're the, the singer of a band like Jake, like double down on merch and start selling lyric sheets, handwritten lyric sheets. You know, like you got to pivot. You got to just keep doing like you're saying uh, to stay alive. You know, um, it's it's wild. It's also 
this great equalizer too, where people, uh, you know, had this platform where you're like, you're a big rock star, right? Like that's what you do. You go out there and you play for all these people and you can't do that anymore. So then it's, who am I? Right? Like I don't have that power anymore. Like I don't have that, that, uh, platform anymore. And it's gotta be terrifying. You know, that was who you are, like who you were, like who you are, but you can't go out and be that such a strange thing to think about, you know, like you were going to walk out on stage in front of 3000 people every night for six months, but no, you're not. And you can't, there's nowhere you can do that now. So you hopefully have some other skills you can do in the meantime, or made enough money in the meantime. And, uh, it's, it's scary, but it's also kind of an interesting equalizer to look at where people will end up, where they are ending up and what they're doing with the time. You know, it's those bands that, are middle of the road, right? Like, cause it's the bands like, so Avenged Sevenfold, right? Like Johnny will be fine. Probably for the rest of their life. If they never play another show, right? Probably because they're an arena band, probably be fine. Corn going to be fine. You know, the Rolling Stones going to be fine. Uh, then you have the bands like that are playing 200 cap clubs. They're going to be fine because they're going to come back first and probably for a while before the arena bands can come back in. It's the the Thrices and the, the uh, Glass Jaws, bands that can't sell at an arena. They're doing theaters that are going to be the last, I think, and it's going to be awful. And I feel terrible about that because that seems how things are going to come back is is very slowly. And they're the ones that aren't going to have that money to sustain years and years of this you know if it takes that long so definitely worried about them more so than the arena bands and the the very young bands that are you know hashing it out eating that famous mcdonald's three dollars a day mcchicken sandwich small fry side salad water uh combination i used to love so much mine the the one tour i did with the band i was in i hit up a bunch of my friends that actually toured and i was like hey what's some advice before I go do this? Like, so I'm not just miserable. And the few pieces I got were invest <laughs> buy the, uh, chef boy RD with the flip cap. So you don't need to bring a, just in case you forgot a, uh, can opener. Uh, if you want to really treat yourself, uh, when you guys stop, put the can on the engine block <laughs> to heat it up. You need to uh, a stamp on the car engine. What was that? A salmon on a car engine in tinfoil. I, I mean, I'm not big on fish, but I guess that's a thing you could do. Uh, you big on fish. That's something you got to change. You got to get big on fish. It's delicious. It's too fishy. <laughs> <laughs> that's like for a while I hated sal- I hated salads. I'm like, it just tastes like leaves, and they're like, well, yeah. But like now, I, I don't mind it. Like I've gotten better about it. But you take the McChicken sandwich. You take the small <laughs> fry. Take yes, you chop up the chicken, put it on the side salad, put the fries on the bun of the McChicken, and then you got your water. You can fill up a Sprite if you want; they'll never know. Uh, but that's your meal—three dollars a day. It works. You can get three bean burritos from Taco Bell. Like you get, well, you could. This was two thousand and one, the last yeah. time I toured the that port. But um, yeah, once we got the twenty dollars a day buyouts, that was awesome. Yeah, I think so, uh, uh, eating eating those bringing uh bringing Febreze and the like uh like cleaning wipes so you can like take give it like yourself a hobo shower 
So you think? And uh, for reason, all your fucking clothes and shit, just leave it out so that way, again, your shit doesn't stink and doesn't stink up the van. Yeah. And uh, flip flops. That was my favorite. Yeah, and slides. Everyone was like, oh, bring slides. So that way, yeah. like, if you got to hurry up and get out of the car or whatever, like, boom, just put them on. But, like, then you're not wearing shoes all fucking day. Dude, my boy Wes, who played in an Abbey of a Ghost at the end, he's the one who did my logo the first time, the, the Skull logo. Uh, wooden Cyclops, shout out to Wes. But he uh, oh, he wouldn't wear shoes hardly at all. He'd go into a gas station, like, truck stop bathroom with no shoes on. And then he'd climb up. I'd lay on the bench seat. He'd climb up on the bunk behind me. And his feet would stick over the side. And there'd be, like, little chunks of toilet paper. And his feet were black <laughs> and, like, dirt and stuff, like, by my face. And I was just like, dude, how is he not getting some kind of crazy disease from this? But you just roll with it, man. It was crazy. And I would just look at his feet and just kind of like angrily go to sleep, like don't even shift because that's going to fall on me. Like, but yeah, he would not wear shoes through any of those situations. He wouldn't wear shoes on stage. Like you're just, yeah, always barefoot. Yeah. I, I think the thing that like eventually I just always had an extra pair of shorts like that I'd wear because we uh stage lighting so fucking hot and i'm already warm by nature so it's like first first song you know i'm usually probably barefoot already but then it's like if i had a hoodie or a, a t-shirt on t-shirts already off and then essentially like there was one show we were playing in a church and the windows wouldn't open and they had no ac so it was just a fucking hot box mm-hmm. and i get my underwear that show because i was just like sweating so bad and I remember some some girl like came to give me a hug and was like, "Oh, I love man." And I was like, "Please don't! T- oh, you're touching me, because I'm gross. Please, please don't." Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes I, I do. Sometimes miss the the fun of playing and playing with people, but then sometimes I'm just kind of like, "Ah, oh, there's so much hassle to it, though." Yeah, there's the it's it's interesting to see people's standards change when it's a band dude that hasn't showered in three days and you go to the van and the van's rocking and you're like, holy shit, no way. We just got off stage. Like we just got done playing and they're banging in the van. Then the person gets out and you're just like, wow, I wonder if that person before tonight would have ever done anything like this. (laughs) Maybe not, but like people that have no hope that they're going to find someone, there's someone out there for everybody. Well, there's that i think what uh we'll we'll end it on this um what is your your favorite worst tour memory like something just like where you're like oh my god this is just awful (laughs) dude there's so many of those stories there's god how do i whittle it down to the worst uh shit i mean we've had guns pulled on us Got in a fight with a dude with a knife in LA trying to get us to move our van that I had to uh, equalize um, <laughs> with the tire iron. The, um, shit, man. I think the worst thing about being on tour, aside from getting screwed over on money and being hungry and tired and, and wet and cold, just the, like, the creature comforts you don't have, I think the worst is being sick. Oh. And I got alcohol poisoning. Um, Ryder from Vox. Uh, so Vox got signed to Atlantic. And 
got a huge house up in Seattle to record in, right? And write, write the record. They're running, it was on, in Shoreline, this beautiful mansion up there. And we were coming through on tour. I was like, guys, you got to come stay with us. We got this huge house. It's like, fuck yeah, we're there, man. Like, and, and Ryder was serving up these, he called them gypsy tits. It was like, it was like ginger ale and whiskey and something else. And I still drank at the time. So I was like, dude, let's do this. Like he made me, I don't know how many of those things. But I was just pounding them, pounding and pounding and pounding them. I got so fucking sick. I was like shaking, like vomiting, like it was awful. And the next day we're playing Boise, Idaho. And we'd never played Boise at this point. But the word was traveling around that we were this insane live band. And we kind of were. Like we beat the shit out of each other on stage. Like we're jumping off things and throwing guitars and shit. Uh, This was, was with Anatomy of a Ghost. So we had this thing to upkeep, right? Like they give them what they want. And I'm literally outside throwing up in the bushes and like shaking before we go on stage. I go on stage. I'm literally put my head on my amp and play like so I can focus on one thing. So the room would stop spinning. This was the next day. Like I spent the whole night like shaking and like fucking it was awful. And uh, try not to throw up through the set and literally afterwards people came up and like dude we heard you guys were insane that was fucking terrible <laughs> and so we we totally let down boise and so the next time we came through we fucking destroyed them but uh that was that was embarrassing and also awful like that was that was one of my worst aside from you know shitting yourself or having to shit uh i think i told the story of the dumpster shit um with nate <laughs> on that episode but where I had to shit so bad, like I was like, we have to stop or I'm going to shit in the van. And we stopped in Ashland, Oregon, where there wasn't a uh, bathroom at the truck stop. Had to run around the dumpster, drop my pants and just explode everywhere. And I, as I'm as that part of my mind is gone because I'm actually going and not shitting myself, I had time to realize and look down that I was illuminated and all the trucks that were parked there for the night, like with their lights on, were facing me and watched the whole thing go down. And uh, I had to just like pull my pants up and walk away. And yeah, I mean, there's that stuff. There's, I mean, there's so many, I can't pin it down to one worst. I don't think like from almost getting shot, almost getting stabbed to getting ripped off. Got our trailer stolen on Christmas morning. That was a good one. I mean, there's a whole bunch. I've had a lot of crazy things happen to me just, in my life just my mm-hmm. circumstance of like one of my first jobs i had was working at a strip club so saw a lot of interesting things happen there um just kind of living life going around uh living in a bunch of different areas and so forth but <clears throat> and having an eclectic grouping of friends uh where just weird shit seemingly follows uh us at, <laughs> at all times i think uh like but the one thing that i just remember because it was literally like the first out of state show i'd ever played on the first tour i ended up doing with a band i was in for a little bit we drove from kalamazoo to greenbrier tennessee which was like a 10 and a half hour drive and i remember we finally get there it seemed to take forever and we finally get out <laughs> And this this dude greets us. And then like the venue is like a coffee shop, like in a weird like strip mall kind of thing where it's like a tattoo shop, this coffee shop, 
something something and then like a, a beer liquor store. So I was like, oh boy, this isn't going to go great. And then across the street was apparently one of the world or the, at least the U.S.'s top ranked elementary school, which I hardly believed uh, to be accurate. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. No one's going to fucking come out to this thing. But as soon as we pile out of the van, this dude goes, are y'all Enormosaurus? Y'all that band from Michigan? And we're like, yep, that's that's us. He's like, oh, y'all like ICP? And I just immediately put my head down. And I was like, I need a beer, whiskey or something. That can't be the first thing someone ta- tells me. Upon me getting out of a vehicle for seven and a half hours, you y'all are from Michigan. Y'all like ICP, and I was like, "No, ICP, uh, not really." Like, there's some (laughs) I at least appreciate them for what they do, um, and what the the fandom that they have from a music business perspective. I I do appreciate what they do. I think you should have gone into this answer to that too. (laughs) Oh, I didn't have it in me to do that. But then, actually, I respect. But then, so the, the funnier part, though, is I was, I was like, all right, I need to get booze. Um, I'm looking around, I'm looking around, and the clerk working at the, the beer store was just like, can I help you? And, like, three of the five of us are all in the store, like, looking for a case of beer. And then finally I go, like, you guys have 30 packs? Like, I, am I just not seeing them? And he goes, a 30 pack of what? And I was like, a beer. And he goes, where do you get those? And I was like, I thought everywhere. The dirty and, third. Yeah. And then he was like, all right, never heard of one of them. And he goes, well, you can get a 24 pack and a six pack. And I go, thanks, sir. I can count to 30. I wanted it all in the convenience of one package. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, I, I don't know where you can buy one of those. And I was like, all right. So dude. then I'm like, oh, for two right out the gate. Yeah. And then uh, the dude that asked us if we liked ICP because we're from Michigan. Um, apparently tells us that we are they're playing they're opening for us and that him and one of the other employees and a friend of theirs decided three days before that they're going to be abandoned this is their first show now mind you we're like kind of a we're like a southern hardcore band from the midwest and they're like a weird rap thing and whoever they had like a beat, I guess, like a like an 808 kind of machine or something, but they didn't know how to like plug it into the PA. Then when they finally got it figured out, they went to play their song, but it was only supposed to have an effect for like two seconds. And it just played throughout the entirety of their like 25 minute set. They couldn't figure out how to turn it off. So there's this like weird cricket reverb noise going and they made merch. Uh, and it was like. It was two white dudes and a, and a like mixed dude. And the, the mixed dude was like super awkward, like he kept his back to us the whole time, even though it was a mirror. So I was like, that doesn't do you no good. Like you can still see us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just now with your back to us. Um, but they had spray painted on like uh, a mesh shirt and mesh shorts, like something. It had the N word all over it. And oh, I was wow. like, Oh my God. And toward the end of the night, I was like, yo, can I buy that off you? Because like no one will believe that that exists, like that someone was like, you know what? This is cool. We're doing this. And they had it behind them like a backdrop. (laughs) And so I offered them money and they were just like, no, man, you can have it. And I was like, all right, cool. And we went to get paid by the promoter. And then he was like, well, like seven people showed up. So like 
and you you took that dude you took that other band's merch and i was like first of all that wasn't merch <laughs> secondly they gave it to me third of all you signed a contract so like you owe us this if you weren't able to fulfill it then you should have hit us up ahead of time and said like hey we'll work out a door deal or something else and got stiff so like basically my first show out of state like i got gypped i got <laughs> like just everything that could have gone wrong went wrong like my uh guitar player left most of my cables at the last show we did uh back home the night before at the venue so i was like cool i, I have to basically borrow cables like most of this tour now that's cool dude i i need to think of the right way to say this on a podcast i probably talked about it on my show before and maybe i said the actual words but i don't want it to get pulled for a uh uh, sound bite, which can happen, which I worry about sometimes. Uh, but we were driving from, we did some long drives. We did a drive from Birmingham, Alabama at Furnace Fest to Anchorage, Alaska, six and a half days straight in the van. We get to Whitehorse, Canada, like go to a Pizza Hut buffet because we're starving. Three of us get food poisoning in the last 10 hours of the trip. And so we had to stop every 15 minutes so someone could shit. <laughs> so it made it last even longer. Like we're almost there. And that, that so that was awful. But we drove from uh where's the original FUD records in Texas? Dallas? Uh, we were we, we ate at the original FUD records and then drove to Florida. Because you don't play in those states really, no, like on the way yeah. there. Those the South uh I think the right way to say this. Someone wrote on the side of our trailer in the dirt because the trailer was so dirty. Right. You can write stuff. Giant letters that take up the entire side of the trailer. It's a double axle trailer. This was like a billboard. (laughs) We get in the van and we drive pretty much straight. It's a 17 hour drive to Florida from Texas. We drive pretty much all the way through stopping for gas but the side of the trailer it was on, the only person that got out that side was the driver and usually went around the front. Someone in one of the other bands wrote F. I, I need <laughs> the right way to say this. B-L-A-C-K-S. A not the greatest term to, to describe a people. Right. I don't even want to say it, but it was F that uh-huh. in giant letters. We drove from Texas through Louisiana, through Mississippi, through Alabama into Florida with that on the side of our caravan and didn't get shot, didn't get beat down or like spike strips thrown down. No one even whistled at us out the window and said, look at your thing or like, what's going on with that? You know, we drove through those States with that on our trailer and had no idea until we got there. And the person that did it was laughing their ass off because we wrote that in Texas. So we knew it was on there the whole time. Horrifying. (laughs) You know, at the time we were laughing because like we could have been killed and it wasn't funny, but it was, the fact that we drove that far with that on our van yeah. across multiple states and the fact that we didn't see it, even getting gas, we didn't see it. It was an, an incredible prank. 
that could have turned out way worse. But I feel bad for anyone that saw that on the side of the trailer and was offended. But yeah, that's not our game. We don't roll that way and we don't make those jokes. But the fact that it was on there the whole time was fucked up. I almost thought when you said you you ate at the original Fuddruckers that that was going to kind of be like a big thing. And I was going to say, same tour. We ended up going to, I think it was West Virginia was where it was. And uh, I saw a billboard for like, were, like the U.S.'s largest subway. When I was like, all right, because like something we had figured out too was to stay at a uh, campgrounds, like national mm-hmm. parks, because it's like ten bucks and everyone can sleep yeah. in their showers yeah, right. and all that. So super cheap, yeah. So we did that. So we needed to get food, and we were also in a dry county, so we had to send some people to go get booze for the night. And I was like, "Well, I'll go. Let's like let's all go to this. <laughs> let's all go to this world's largest subway. We passed like the billboard for like fifteen times." And we go and it's no bigger than the size of like the ones you see in gas stations. And I was like, what, what did, did like the original one burn down or something? They're like, what do you mean? I was like, I mean, you're starting like a couple miles back. So like us is like largest subway. This isn't large at all. Like there are subways that I know of back home that have been around for like 30 years that are bigger than this. I was like, how old is that sign for that to have been accurate? They're like, oh, it never was, but it got you here. I was like, that's true. That's how work. You motherfuckers. <laughs> you don't stop at those attractions, man. You don't. I had another thing with shit. First time I met Under Oath, uh, we were in New York and we were playing at the Continental. And the mm-hmm. Continental, uh, like the front of the building opened up so you could load in through the front of the building. It was fucking weird. Um, but the, t- the toilet was broken, like it was the- on the fritz. And yeah, downtown Manhattan right there, like you don't, uh, bathrooms are hard to come by. So I'm looking, this, we'll go into the Starbucks. I got to use the bathroom. Starbucks bathroom's not working. Like the, you can't use it. So I start walking down. I right, I walk to CBGB's, which I'd never been to before. And Under Oath is sitting out front on the street, just kind of hanging out on a hot summer's day. And I was like, holy shit, I just saw you guys on MTV. And like Spencer was in the band at that point, like that reinventing your exit song was out. I ended up talking to them for a minute, and I was like, dude, can I cruise in there, use there and use the toilet? I had no idea it was a legendary toilet on a poster. I shit in that toilet. Gross. Before the show started, it was awesome. There was no one in there. It was great, but it was disgusting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I almost bought the poster just so I could say that because I saw it on a poster. I was like, oh, my God. So you are it's that name of, uh, if, if you shit at CBGBs, you don't have to worry about what's in the vaccine. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, dude. Yeah, but that was funny. That was I should have told that to Spencer. I didn't even say that to him when we were on. The, I, I should text him later, but uh, that story because that's like right after that. I should. Do it. <laughs> <sighs> some of some of those things, like people won't understand. Like when I go to do the interviews, sometimes I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm like, this is gonna be the nicest bathroom experience I'll have all night at this venue because no one's here and they just cleaned it. Mm-hmm. That's the best. If it's a band you really like and you get to watch soundcheck. Like I got to watch one of Minus the Bears last sound checks for me and uh, John Clardy, basically of Terramelos, watching him do it. Uh, it was like second to last show, super emotional. Like it was just awesome. It was beautiful. Like it just sounded so good. Watching anytime I watch Thrice sound check, every time they come through, uh, I'm there either interviewing one of them or just hanging out. We've been friends for like twenty some years, and every time the sound check gets better and better. It's just they just sound so good. 
and those experiences I love, like more so than any of the access that you get through a show like this, those where it's just you and the band sound checking, like it's awesome. It's like a private show. It's really cool. I always like the random covers that come out as a result of that, or like the song, like I think when I was there to interview doc from bad wolves and they were on tour with Papa Roach, uh, Papa Roach was pulled out a song off of infest that they haven't played in like, long time they didn't end up playing it that night but i at least got to hear most of it so i was like all right that's kind of cool for me like to at least hear something that i didn't uh kind of a similar situation i didn't get to see it but i heard it because i was in the other room uh but amberlynn sound checking a long time ago and they did uh new noise and i was mm-hmm. like i was like that's why don't they do that ever <laughs> dude that's one of the fucking crazy things too or uh dennis from Refuse and I become good friends through this podcast and and uh, through Mike Mowry. And one of the greatest experiences of my life was on my birthday in Mexico City. Dennis and I in the in the barricade of Ozzy singing Bark at the Moon together with our arms around each other was like the pinnacle of like, okay, I've been listening to you since I was a child. Like when New Noise came out, didn't think I'd ever see you live. And then we became buddies through the podcast. So we see each other at airports and stuff. We're like hanging out at hotels or whatever. But to then like they had already played, refused to played. It's Ozzy time. Blasco got us passes like God passes. And I'm literally like 10 feet from Ozzy on my birthday, arms with an arm with Dennis in front of 50,000 people or whatever. We're at that festival singing Bark at the Moon. It was together. It was insane. It was like this great like pinnacle experience of like, holy shit. I'm in Mexico city on my birthday, Ozzy Dennis put it out in the world. It's fucking awesome. Refused is one of those special bands. Um, you know, I got to see him on that reunion tour and in Detroit, you know, we were one of, thankfully one of the hand, the dates that they did on that U S run. And next to me was Jeff at the time, still in Dillinger. Um, Jeff Tuttle, mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine from up here, but had gone to Buffalo. Jason, that was at the time the vocalist for It Dies Today, and Mike, the guitar player for It Dies Today, had driven up to come see the show. Mm-hmm. And then it was like some of the dudes from Black Dahlia, and like it was just like all those dudes happened to be like kind of around. And mm-hmm. I was like with two of my best friends, they got hammered. I didn't because I didn't have money to and whatever. So like I'm taking all of this in with like a, like people where I'm like, holy shit, I can't believe. I'm, basically seeing this show like i remember high-fiving jeff when they uh cut into i think it was like liberation frequency or something like that we're just like fuck yeah and i talked to my buddies and they're like i have no recollection really of that show i remember having fun but i don't really remember it i was like oh man i have a really good memory of the show but was one of those where they came here to where i live on the last tour right before the pandemic basically and shot by shot i was like dennis doing press i don't know and they're like sure and so getting to be on the back of the boat, he's mm-hmm. like just like full on rock star Dennis that he is like, you know, all the rings, all that shit. I was like, God damn, even for an interview where no one's going to see it, like everyone's yeah. going to see this. But you look like just he you, looks fantastic. Yeah. And I was like, you look every bit like Dennis that I would hope to. And you're super nice and all that kind of shit. And I was just like, oh, and it's funny because like a couple people have listened to that episode because uh, I had made the comment like does it feel better getting to put this record out now that you're done with the one after that's following shape of pump to come? Like, there's no way that anyone, you know, admittedly probably would give a shit. Cause Oh, it's not shape of pump to come to mm-hmm. So does it feel like 
people are actually going to give this one a fair shake or something like that. He goes, you know, I can't make you feel like you were. And he goes like, presumably you were 15 or so when you first heard shape of punk come. I was like, yeah, roughly about that. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, I can't make you feel like that ever again. I can't make you feel like, you know, you were when you were a kid listening to that music or that album for the first time. And then I just randomly was like, you know, I'd heard something that like we stopped listening or we, we peak kind of musically wherever we lost our virginity at. Like that's kind of the last era of music that we will keep listening to and he goes oh god i hope that's not true <laughs> and then i was like oh what did you lose your virginity to or what was like the albums that you were into at the time or whatever crash metal, metal back then yeah i don't remember what his answer was but it was funny because people were like i can't believe you asked him what music he lost his virginity to and i was like i don't know just seemed like the thing that <laughs> it would have been it would have been like like thrash metal that was what he was listening to in that time yeah. but like the, the uh the funny thing about that, he dresses like that in a rainstorm. He dresses oh, like sure. 100 degree weather. And he's never, to this date, said the Can I Scream live ever no. one time. He no. always throws it to the crowd. I was like, yep. dude, you got to do it just one time. Like, next time I see you, you got to do it. Won't do it. Yeah. Hilarious. The biggest thing, if you ever think of Refuse, like, what do you think about? Can I Scream? He's never said it in a microphone except to the studio. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I love it. Great band. Well, I, uh, what was that? You're getting tired. Yeah. What, uh, where can people find you and or the show? Oh man. Well, it's, it's everywhere. It's on any podcatcher. It's just pure pleasure is the show. Uh, mouth. Yeah. It's all over that. Actually, did you just make headline recently with uh, your Anthony green episode too? I don't know. I didn't look. I saw something about it. That Maybe it was somebody else's. That episode was a good one. I I felt like that was the best episode that we've done so far. I can't put out ours yet. It's uh, it's good. You can't what? I can't put out the one I think is our best. Not yet. Oh, okay. I got you. Um, yeah. Purepleasurepodcast.com is the website. Um, purepleasurepod at gmail.com is the email. And then, yeah. From the website, you can go anywhere, but it's on every podcatcher. It's, um, yeah, it's it's everywhere. And then on Instagram, that's what I use, Pure Pleasure Pod. Um, I don't do much personal stuff on social media anymore. Um, but yeah, that's where they can find the show, find uh, what we've been talking about for two hours. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for taking the time and uh, looking forward to some more episodes you got coming up this year. And since you're always like at least 10, 15 in the can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the next episode blast. So that was my uh, conversation literally with uh, Dewey Halpus, uh, again, of the Pure Pleasure podcast. If you are not familiar or have no idea who he was prior to this, go subscribe to his podcast. Um, it is something that I, I'm always able to pull something out of. Uh, whenever I listen to his show and it's something that for me being in the medium and kind of in the same space as he is, um, is definitely something that I almost study like game tape so I can be more of a better engaged conversationalist. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love, I love the switch between serious. You guys got really raw in a couple of places and then all of a sudden got super like 
hilarious. The tourist, like, this is one of those episodes where you really don't want to just tank out after an hour because uh, you start getting some incredible on the road stories uh, <laughs> towards the end. Uh, and, and even one from John, which I thought was hilarious. Um, we took this band's merch. Yeah, that wasn't merch, man. <laughs> like, that's, not, that's not really how merch works. Uh, no, no, it's not. Especially, especially since it seemed to be disposable. It didn't sound like they were being nice. Like, hey, you can have these. More like, hey, can you throw this shit away from us? We're done with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I almost think that would be a fun podcast at times. It's just like maybe, maybe that's something we do moving forward. Is uh, whenever we talk to someone, just be like, hey, tell me one of your your favorite worst tour stories, and maybe that just becomes like a weird ancillary show of sorts, where you know, it's just like, hey, here's the random tour story. Because uh, I'm sure every band has one, um, and. I only have a, a smattering of them, so it's not like I'm going to have a whole lot that I can really add to it. But I think uh, by and large, you know, in the moment, you're probably like, dude, this sucks. This is rough. But then when you're, you know, 10 years removed from some of these stories, you find the the humor in them all of a sudden, you know, like, yeah, I thought I was alone shitting behind a dumpster and then realized that I was basically center stage for a bunch of truck drivers. <laughs> all right, truck drivers, everybody, I want to see your hands. Oh, man. Yeah, that's that's got to be rough. I mean, at that point, though, you, at that point, you just want to really just get into it, right? Really give them a show. But uh, yeah, that's... Uh... It's such a weird story because, like, part of me is like, like, why were they all there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, truck stops typically have. Oh, that. I know, okay. I know. It's just, I don't know. Just the timing and luck of that is. <laughs> Well, hilarious. I also like the 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 shit story that led to being like, hey, and then I ran into under <laughs> I shit in this like world famous bathroom or this world famous oh. toilet that was apparently on the fritz. Yeah. No, and uh, then like two seconds later, I'm talking under oath. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, this is a lot of fun, though. I, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to Dewey. Uh, we've been staying in touch since, uh, which if you listen to his show, no one should be surprised by that. He is one of the. Uh, most giving people uh, with his time and uh, offers advice and, and all that kind of stuff. And just a great dude, just to bullshit with. So um, no doubt we'll probably have him back on eventually. Um, I even think uh, there, there's talks of maybe having him uh, join us over on discography discussion for something possibly down the road. So um Oh, I didn't know about that, but that, I mean, I'm down. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a band that he knows the people, so it would be. Oh, yeah, even better. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did say something to me about that. Yep. Yeah. You're just like my wife. I tell you something. You're like, I don't recall that. And I'm like, bitch, I told Dude, you. I do that to my wife all the time. I'm like, this is the first. <laughs> I'm like, this is the first time I'm hearing of this. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you want to find, keep up with everything going on with the Peer Pleasure Podcast, simple enough, just go to peerpleasurepodcast.com. Uh, everything is there. Uh, it is actually one of the inspirations for our website uh, that I pulled from. I loved how when you go to the peerpleasurepodcast.com, it pulls up all the podcasts basically in a player. Um, so essentially, if that's why you're there is to hear some episodes, you see them. Um, so little tip of the cap to uh, Dewey and whoever created his website. That's where we got the idea to do the same. If you'd like to keep up with them on Facebook, it's at peer p pod instagram at peer pleasure pod and twitter at pod peer pleasure but again just go to peerpleasurepodcast.com literally there are links straight away to click to any of the socials dewey's got some great episodes he actually puts what i do to shame i think he usually has at least 10 episodes in the can if not more uh dude's work ethic is commendable uh and almost exhausting to look at from afar i mean dude did a 12 days of christmas <laughs> where he literally dropped an episode for 
12, 12 days in a row. I think the year before he did almost 30 days, like a full month of an episode a day. That's and crazy. You're just like, Jesus Christ. So it just kind of goes to show what uh, what Dewey does over there and just his tireless work ethic. Um, great stuff over there and uh, great stuff wherever Dan can be found on the Internet. I'm sure it's it's great. It's probably the best uh, ever. I mean, um, I, I, I think so. I mean, if I if I'm being totally humble and honest, um, I think I'm probably one of the greatest podcasters to ever exist, you know, on the face of the earth. Uh, I say, um, a whole lot of times. And sometimes you can hear me like coughing on like what I'm drinking most of the time, which tonight is a jack in the box soda. Mm. And uh, I know you're supposed to tell me I'm supposed to tell people where I'm supposed to be found. But seriously, jack in the box, you guys need to start cleaning your soda machines. And I'm not talking about like I'm not talking about like the one by my house. I'm talking about nationwide. Every time I go to a jack in the box. If you order a dark soda, you just get a generic dark soda. It has no taste. And it has some kind of weird taste, like like dollar store Coca-Cola or dollar store Dr. Pepper, like a Dr. Thunder or something like that. <laughs> uh, it tastes like soda. It, it has bubbles in it, but it's just this like black motor oil mix. And I know that that only happens because you guys aren't cleaning your fucking shit and you're supposed to be cleaning it. Anyway, I can be found at DiscussMetal.com for my other podcast, Discography Discussion. Uh, you can send me an email at at discussmetaldan at gmail.com. I am on Twitch two nights a week, Mondays and Thursdays, and sometimes on YouTube. So twitch.tv slash discussmetaldan. You can find me there. And uh, YouTube, you can find me under discussmetaldan. Make sure to give me a follow on those to uh, see more of my beautiful face. And if you would like to keep up with everything this podcast, it's simple enough. Go to brewspeakpod.com, very much like with the peerpleasurepodcast.com. Everything you want to see is over there. All links to our socials, YouTube channels, merch, all of that stuff. Uh, even our friend shows uh, that we support and so forth. Um, you know, it's a big thing. Like we said, it's not a fucking competition. So we want to support and see everyone doing well because it just brings the medium up another level and allows all of us to kind of shine. So uh, head on over there. If you don't want to go there for whatever reason, it's even more simple. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Bruce Speak Pod. That's as simple as I can make it. We also, to make it even more simple, uh, our sponsors make it very simple to support them. You can head over to rockabilia.com where there are over 500,000 items in their online store available to you and anybody that's either on Peer Pleasure, our show that we talk about on Discography Discussion. I'm pretty sure they have merch for those bands. I mean, I got a Throwdown hoodie. Throwdown hasn't been a band in existence for probably almost a decade at this point, and I was able to get a hoodie. So what does that tell you? But use our code BREW, and you can get 10% off your total purchase order, uh, save some money, get laced up with some new gear. It is winter. Maybe you're preparing for some spring or fall, or I don't know birthdays christmases i don't know who who buys what for when doesn't matter use our code save money <laughs> <laughs> also want to shout out on point palmade keep your beard and hair looking on points at all times use our code bsp15 and get 15 percent off your total purchase order uh shout out to those guys uh, i definitely need to get some new stuff here i'm almost out dan doesn't even have any so we definitely need to get laced up with some new uh on point palmade we'd like to actually use the things we're advertising for on this show um we use on point palmade we have stuff from rockabilia and bean bastard coffee as well uh go to the beanbastard.com pick up some delicious coffee we have it i use it i've given it away like it's something that we back and we want to thank all the sponsors for backing us and uh you know what? I haven't talked about what I was drinking. I actually am pretty proud of this. I made a fucking delicious ass margarita. Nice. 
I used uh, some Avion tequila, some Contro, some fresh squeezed lime juice, and I found this new uh, new juice that's like been my go-to. Uh, it is called uh, Caribbean Sunset. It's fucking delicious. So as soon as I tried it the first time, I was like, "Yo, that needs to go in a margarita." And I am here to say, it was like a strawberry coconutty kind of kind of deal. No, actually, it's more of like a kind of like a nice juicy like orange apple cherry kind of a blend. Uh, I think there's a little bit of pineapple in there too. But yeah, it's it's a really like. When you think of a juice that goes in a margarita, it totally is that. Okay. So shout out to that. Uh, if you guys are of drinking age and uh, are into margaritas, I would definitely always steer you toward Avion. It's one of my favorite tequilas. And uh, for the Brutally Speaking podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we'll talk to you all next week where our guest is Dave Shapiro of the Sound Talent Group. And uh, that's going to be a wild one, too. Peace. Peace out.